I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. He's really over there. What is this solo shot crap? We're starting what? the show with just you? To, yeah. I'm going to go for two and a half hours today, just me. I'm not sure I approve of that kind of uh, decision. Get all, get all my takes out on week eight. No, I need you. We're a team here. We're going to okay. work together. Good. Working through all the week eight action. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Of course, we're live on YouTube, as always, on a Monday morning. Just us and Good Morning Football getting after it. Mm. So... Let's get right into the action, huh? Sure. Uh, We didn't get to really... We talked a little bit about Thursday Night Football on the PFF NFL Daily, more through the lens of the Cardinals, but if we can go back to that just a little bit so we don't get memed, not talking about the uh, primetime games. Okay. Uh, We should also preview Monday Night Football sometime today. Oh, God. We forgot it. We completely forgot it. It's my fault. What's this we stuff? You. I created a document with a list of games, Uh and I... Forgot Monday Night Football. Yeah. It's the way that Green Line is structured with the Monday Night Football game. Don't blame Green Line. This what? is you. Don't blame it's, Green it's Line. It's absolutely my fault. So we forgot to preview the Chiefs and the, Gi- and the Giants on the preview show. Again, not so much we, but you. I did. Carry on. And uh, maybe we'll touch on it later today. Okay. So we've like, got a lot to talk about. You like the jersey? Lifelong, oh, that's your new team. Lifelong Dallas Jackals fans over here. Is that who, the, is that who you went with, huh? Yeah. That's good. It's like so. Uh, somebody was saying that like their, one of their one of their favorite bits of the show is the random rugby jerseys that I will surface in. One person said that. Yes, that's all I need. Like one person is a green light, right? Like the one person that asked what watches I wear, which was enough for me to start showing them all on social media. <laughs> um, I just need the one guy, and then that's yeah. like go for it. So you know, we got uh, an array of Leinster jerseys. Me being from Leinster and all, uh, we've got the Stade Francais jersey, the ridiculous pink looking thing the zebra jersey with the weird rainbow colors mm-hmm. and i was like well i need a, a major league rugby team we're we're in america they've got rugby over here so you're a jackal of a fashion so i was like yeah let's let's go find me a, a rugby team and uh yeah lifelong dallas jackals fans because they're new this year they are a 2021 entry into mlr perfect time to so i got to a jump i got a jersey perfect. now it's a little bit like roomy in the neck area which i didn't realize until i was sort of sitting in the studio couldn't do anything about it, but it doesn't know. look that ridiculous. Good, because it feels <laughs> it feels a little ridiculous. Feels ridiculous. A little bit, you know. It's just it's a lot of room up here well, for glad. reasons that I haven't quite understood. I'm just glad you found a team because I'm going to start rocking up with my old Brunel jersey, and yeah. I might just wear old football jerseys. And well, it's weirdly it's matching well, if you do that. Yeah, I know. We'll be yeah mid '90s jacks. Anyway, we're just giving some people some time to show up here. Oh, um, yeah. Let's get into all the action. So I said Thursday night, uh, Green Bay Packers, 24. Cardinals 21. Yeah. Uh, the entire NFC has uh, shifted a little bit with the Saints win over the Bucks, Packers win over the Cardinals. And, uh, man, it was a huge win for the Packers without their top receivers. A bunch of COVID and injuries and the whole thing. Impressive win, I think, by the Packers. They just kind of 
grinded it out. Run game was pretty good. Defense made the key stop. And of course, Kyler Murray was about to throw. He threw what should have been a game-winning interception, and A.J. Green doesn't turn around. Touchdown. Game-winning touchdown, and it turns into a game-ending interception. Yeah. Thank you. More coffee. Here You're we welcome. Go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny how, like, literally that play, the very final play of the game, do they kneel down afterwards? Second final play of the game. Yeah. Um, would have been completely changes the narrative, right? We, if, if A.J. Green catches the ball that was put on him, you would be like, Oh, the Cardinals answer the call once again. You know, they grinded out. It was a, an ugly victory. But once more, the Cardinals have risen to the challenge and they're absolutely for real. Are they the best team in the NFL? And as it is, you're like, ah, oh, Arizona loses to a Green Bay team without any of their receivers. Like, maybe this team isn't really for real. Um, so, yeah, it, like, it's just funny. Every week, football being what it is the entire narrative around teams changes based off like one or two plays here or there. And that was one of them. But I thought Arizona played okay. Green Bay were impressive given the game plan that they had to execute without essentially any wide receivers. They then lose Robert Tunyon in the game um, to, I think, a season-long knee injury, right? He lost. Yeah, he's out. He's done. Yep. Um, So all of a sudden, like Green Bay, their lack of weaponry down for the remainder of the season looks a little bit concerning. They've been able to get a run game against Arizona. They had both A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones have, have pretty big days. Like, they might have to lean on that more than they have in the past now because they they really don't have much. Look, I, I think we definitely get all... We, we definitely get caught up. I get caught up in the flash and, you know, the efficient pass game and all that stuff. And I do think that's the best way to win, you know, going forward in the whole thing. But I think it was encouraging that Green Bay won in the trenches from an offensive line standpoint. They did a really nice job there. You mentioned A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Both ran hard and uh, forced missed tackles. Both graded at 76 or better as runners, which is really good, grading in the green. So, And then defensively, all of a sudden, like Rasul Douglas is making plays over the last couple of weeks. It, as much, we, talked to, I, we mentioned a lot about Green Bay being top-heavy, and it's a Rodgers and Devontae and J.R. Alexander type of deal. And all of a sudden, you've got Rasul Douglas and A.J. Dillon and Dean Lowry like those are their better players the other night and I think that's encouraging for the Packers uh, who were doing it you know not as not as flashy as they were last year yeah now can we get the games that happened yesterday yes so good job Packers where do you want to go starting yesterday go through the ones sure all right let's start with uh San Francisco oh god why do you, why why would you have to do that Pittsburgh no Browns? no you started let's go 49ers 33, Bears 22. Uh huh. Jimmy Garoppolo stepping up with all the pressure on, making some big time throws. Uh, you know, it, it was, we've talked a ton about Justin Fields mm-hmm. and the Bears, and I thought I thought Fields had maybe his best game overall. <sighs> I can't I can't do the Justin Fields thing every week. I just the same people that were whinging about, like, you can't learn anything from a season. It's He's maybe too early to have him out there. Name names. No. It's now like, oh, Justin Fields. Uh, what about this too soon stuff? Now it's all Matt Nagy's fault. Now it's Justin Fields' Matt fine. Nagy was not in the building, not coaching. I'm and just saying, like, the ironically, second Ironically, Justin <clears throat> Fields, 103 rushing guards on 10 attempts. He's a, he's a runner yeah. now. Like, the second that game happened, it's like, oh, Nagy's done. Like, <laughs> whether or not it's his fault, he's now the scapegoat. This is now... Tw- Honestly, at this point, his biggest problem is that he seems to be horrendous at, like, seeing the problems occur. You know, like, 
oh, we had this terrible game against Cleveland, so I'm going to give away play-calling duties for the next way easier opponent so that Justin Fields has a great game and I look like a moron. Then he goes and decides to get COVID. What are you doing? Then you have COVID and it's like, oh, I'm from an undisclosed location somewhere. Okay. And every like his problem all the way along has been what this horrendous dealing with the media. Like either way he couldn't coach the game and it was gonna be like if Justin Fields has a good game, you just say, Well, he, Justin Fields always has a good game. Couldn't coach the game. Matt Nagy's there. But he was there. obviously like still involved in the game plan and everything that went into it. Like it's not like Matt Nagy just like hold himself up in a bunker for the week and went, I have nothing to do with this week. This is somebody else's deal. So anything Justin Fields does that's good, you're not gonna get credit for, even if you were a part of it. Um, but this, I, like, we are literally swinging week to week with the Justin Fields narrative. It's like, you don't come on, this is, this, is a, this is a product of opposition, largely. Justin Fields did have his best game this week, but it's because the Bears' offense was functional for once. Yeah. Like, he hasn't changed. He's not a different human than he was last week. We just got to, saw some of the, we just got to see some of the good because the, the offense sucked. I, I thought they did. They rolled him out a bunch. They rolled him out a ton. And so a lot of the stuff that people were asking for, we did get to see. And Fields got on the edge. Um, there was a lot of under center play action getting him on the edge. He did. He scrambled a lot on those. Of course, the 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 biggest highlight was that fourth and one, where he turns a you know a roll right into a you know scramble back across the grain. It was an incredible play for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, and and this was you know what I expected from Fields coming into the season. So was, you know his final grade is going to be. Good it was, it, with you know passing grade okay, rushing grade really good, and so it nets out to be in a very good game for Justin Fields. Created some big plays, missed a few throws, you know some good, some bad. This is what we had, had expected. So I think that's at least encouraging for Bears fans. The discouraging part is they gave up 33 points, including some really big plays. 83 yarder to Debo Samuel. Uh, Jimmy G hits uh, finally getting another big time throw in there. His uh, 47-yard post route was was awesome. Um, but Garoppolo kind of looked like older, old Garoppolo. Quick release, a lot of those with pressure bearing down on him. He's getting rid of the ball, putting him in good spots for the most part. Garoppolo played his best game of the season. So, you know, the Niners are still hanging around now after, you know, maybe people were writing him off. And the 80-something yarder was like third and long. Yeah, just third and 19. Yeah, just dump off screen to Debo who then just takes it like almost the distance like when when you have a guy that can do that it hides a lot of problems and makes a lot of things look a lot better than they actually are um there's defense overall I mean they're gonna have a defense grade in the 40s in this one that was I mean that's why they lost they could not yeah make stops it was poor yeah it it wasn't good I mean the, the Bears defense no Khalil Mack, right? And without him, it is a different unit. Like, as much as Khalil Mack hasn't maybe been as dominant as he's been in the past, he's still by far their best defensive player, let alone defensive lineman. Um, and when he isn't there, it's just so much easier to deal with them. So the uh, Bears fall to 3-5. and five. Niners move to 3-4. and four. thought the Niners might have a better season, but uh, they're, still, they're still hanging around there. There's going to be the usual talk about Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, at least for another week. Uh, Garoppolo looked pretty good uh, Elijah Mitchell runs for a buck 37 on 18 carries so it was it was vintage Garoppolo and the Niners and Shanahan offensively the 49ers backfield fascinates me like they are they the best proof in the NFL that it couldn't matter less which running back you plug into the system 
and yet it's has, always the they've one. They've always been the Shanahan's. It's always been from the Shanahan's. But the difference being that this Shanahan actually goes after and puts resources into the running back position. But it's always the one that he put no resources into that succeeds. True. So you draft Trey Sermon higher up in the draft, and he has done nothing so far this year. And then you draft Elijah Mitchell in the sixth round or fifth round, like later down the draft, and he's the dude that comes in and dominates. Like, same thing, you go and, like, pay Jarek McKinnon decent money to be your number one running back. Jarek McKinnon gets injured and never surfaces again for you. And, like, every time they put resources into somebody and it's, an other, it's a different guy that has success. Like, why are you still putting resources into it? Just grab a dude off the street and plug him in there. There you go. Elijah Mitchell. That's all you need. Grab anybody because uh, Niners move the ball. Even Jimmy G on a QB keeper. He's, he had two rushing touchdowns in there as well. Yeah, more than uh, Justin Fields. Oh, wow. More than Justin uh, Fields. Officially, Justin Fields with a 76.7 PFF grade, which is the highest of the season so far. Just edges that Detroit Lions game. The two games where Matt Nagy, you know, gave up play calling and then was in an undisclosed location because of COVID. Like if you're the narrative for Nagy is not kind, let's just put it that way. It's who, who can determine how much of this is actually his fault or not. But if you're of the opinion that it's his fault, all of the data is backing you up at this stage. Maybe Justin Fields gets nervous around his head coach. Yeah. Maybe he just, you know, he just, he wants to do, you know, Nagy well. He so just, he times. wants to impress him. So he's, he plays a little tense when Matt, when Matt's now when Nagy's in a bunker, Lose a little bit of so that pressure. So we just put him up in the uh, in the booth. The put whole him time. in the booth. And um, you you could say officially on the grades, by the way, because it is official. It's up on uh, the website pff.com. If you guys have uh, your PFF Edge or Elite subscription, you can see these grades. There are six games already up, and this is what we do on a Monday morning. Everybody's been up all night grading and finalizing these games, and you guys can get twenty five percent off using the promo code NFL Pod NFL P O D twenty five percent off. All of these great subscriptions at pff.com. Thank you to everybody that has used that promo code, by the way. We see you, literally, because we get told how many of you have done it, and we appreciate you. Yes, we do. And, and for uh, anybody that hasn't done it yet, we, we would want also everybody to join the party, be able to see all the grades and stats. And six of those 1 p.m. games are already live over on pff.com. So, anyway, Niners moved to three and four, sticking around. And uh, I, I think. Finally, just to like put a bow on the Bears situation here, say what you want about Nagy and Ryan Pace and the whole thing. And we've talked about Fields so much. Uh-huh. This is the worst Bears team that they've had in their regime. And I think it's all starting to catch up. By the way, don't be surprised if this thing goes back in the tank for the next two weeks because now you have the Pittsburgh Steelers and then the Baltimore Ravens and then you get Detroit again. So we're about to go on another Packers roller coaster. We're about to yeah. go on another roller coaster of bad game, bad game, good game. Then you get Arizona, Green Bay. Those could go either way. Like it's just my point is stop doing this week to week, right? We know th- stop. Just stop. Stop it. I can't deal with it for the rest of the season. Stop. Can you just apply that to everything, though? But particularly Please. the field thing. It's ridiculous at this point. We've already like written them off. We do it too. And we crowned them four times. We have this a year. new top NFC team every single week. Actually, we've stuck with the Bucks every single week, and now now it's time to flip. <laughs> but yeah, this is that's what people do. I'm just I can't. I the, no. Stop. Stop. Pittsburgh Steelers 15. Cleveland Browns 10. Yes. <laughs> Shoot out. Just, just a. AFC Central. This is this is an AFC Central game. Say what you want about the North. This was the Central. 
This is 1994 called. It is Bill Cower and <laughs> Bill Belichick. Like. It's 15 to 10, Steelers beating the Browns. And I, I think we talked about this. I mean, everything on paper for us, besides Baker Mayfield's injury, says, okay, the Browns have a better roster, better team, uh, more well-rounded, Big Ben's getting old, he can barely move, and all this stuff. But on the preview show, it's like, man, this, the Mike, Tomlin, Mike, Mike Tomlin has this way of pulling it all together. And, you know, the Steelers are going to get to eight or nine wins, I think. And now they're four and three. I mean, they're sitting there at four and three right now. And the Steelers. Rec- yeah, they have a better record now. They have the a better record than the Browns. They're a better team than the Browns right now, record-wise. And, uh, and they win 15 to 10. What'd you make of this one? They also did it without a kicker for most of the game. Um, yes. Which, so they ran a fake field goal. Which I was thinking, like, it's been a long time since I've seen a a deliberate fake kick, right? Yeah, because so many teams are just going for it. Right. Like, I've seen a few mistakes, you know, where it's a bad snap or whatever, and they try and ad-lib something crazy, and it's, you know, whatever the word they yell when the play breaks down, and there's a specific sort of, um, there's a specific route combination or, like, just areas of the field that the eligible receivers are supposed to run to when there's been a bad snap. But, like... How long do you have to go back before you can think of the last deliberately fake field goal? Yesterday. Before yesterday. I don't know. A long time, though, right? Um, so you get Chris Boswell, rolls out. Nobody's open. He's like, hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball. You know, throw it safely, you know, the back of the end zone. Good decision. Only he held on too long, got blasted and concussed. Uh, and Pittsburgh's backup kicker is their punter, which I would imagine is pretty common throughout the NFL. Only their punters never place kicked. And by never, I mean possibly never. Didn't do it in college. Apparently had one attempt in high school, presumably when a similar thing happened. Uh, So he can't kick, like at all. They had him kick off once and he missed the field. Um, So I would imagine that the Steelers have somebody on their roster that is a passable soccer player who would immediately become a way better option as their place kicker. We've seen essentially, and Sue kick, right. right? Wes Welker. But, like, there's people that play five-a-side soccer in a pickup game. Like, somebody must be able to kick a ball better than the punter that can't kick. Um, you tell me the punter at practice isn't at least kicking a little bit? Yes. With all that time at practice? I am telling you that. Why? Because they're punting. How many you, you how many but times this is can the you punt you, you in were a practice? In, you were in the room where we talked to Mr. Tig Leader about how it's completely different mechanics. And the reason you don't get guys that do both is because it's, one screws up the other. So you can't have your punter cross-training with kicking because it screws up his punting mechanics. And you can't have your kicker cross-training to punt because it screws up his kicking mechanics. So they don't do it. They have a specialist and a specialist. The problem is when one gets injured, you now have nobody to do that job. Is it really going to screw you up that much? I guess maybe. Apparently. But anyway, my point is, If you're of the opinion that that is true, and honestly, I'm not sure it is, like, why don't you just get, you know, a guy like Leader who can do both? Particularly when you're already sourcing from Aussie rules, right? It's not like you have this, you know, clique of players that have never done both. Like, you're already going to Australia to grab guys that can kick. You could grab any rugby player who plays number 10 in the world, and he can do both. Like, just grab one of those guys who can already do both. Anyway, but once you're of the opinion that that's the situation we're in, Surely you have an understanding of the people on the roster that can kick a ball on the ground and therefore not asking the punter to do it. Anyway. So instead, Pittsburgh now don't have a kicker for the rest of the game. So they're going for two (laughs) when they score. 
even when they get a penalty on the two-point conversion and it's now two-point conversion from the 12-yard line, they are going for it. Um, And they checked down again? So look, there was quick pressure. It wasn't quite as silly as it looked, but yes. Yeah, it's just fascinating. You can't make fun of the Steelers today, though, because they won. Held the Browns to 10 points. Um, I thought it was interesting, the the play that, that sealed the deal. You got Pittsburgh second and eight. Under two minutes. The play that sealed the deal. The play that Big Ben hates the most. The good old RPO. It's a called run play. You know, you stick it into the belly of the running back. You read one player. Uh, and he, I think he may have predetermined this whole thing, so he didn't have an actual read on it. But throws the slant to Deontay Johnson, who, you know, creates a big play out of it and kind of seals the deal for the Steelers. Uh, the Browns, it's just another situation where they had opportunities to make the comeback and just... Couldn't do it. You know, Baker was okay in this game. Again, just okay. Six drop passes, though, and Jarvis Landry, a couple bad plays in the fourth quarter, including a big drop. So it was one of those games where I think the Browns were just out of sync offensively and could not get out of their own way. Yeah, they were. Baker um, miss, So guys open, Baker's missing them. When he makes a throw, it's getting dropped. That all adds up. You, you score 10 points. Yeah. They, that? Good, very well. The, yeah, the Browns' offense when they when they have like one drive to get it done, they just seem to be so bad this year. I like I like the way you positioned it to me yesterday. What was that? They become the Lions. Yeah, like the Browns on a gotta have a drive are basically the Lions this year. They're just terrible. Yeah. I don't understand what happens to them when you when you have the whole game to work with. It seems fine. They, the offense knows what they're doing. They're able to run whatever play they want, and everything takes over. When you say, okay, you have a finite amount of time and you need points at the end of it, everything just seems to collapse, like in a heap. And this time, we've seen it before, you know, quick drive before the half or before uh, the end of the game, and they completely implode. This time they had more time. Like, they got the ball with, like, four minutes to go. Um, But still, it was just a mess. Like, why? I don't understand why it's so bad. Uh, it's one of those games, too, where you look at the, the Steelers' defense. I don't know if their their back seven even played all that well. It was really just Browns had open receivers that were either missed or they dropped the passes overall. Uh, pass rush was really good. T.J. Watt, awesome again, getting after the quarterback. So, I mean, Steelers just keep – they're the feisty team this year. Steelers are the feisty team winning 15-10 to 10 AFC Central battles here against the Browns. Mm-hmm. Uh, impressive, again – Big Ben made just enough throws. Deontay Johnson, besides that slant, a few catches beyond the sticks. Uh, they made just enough plays, but it was it, it's still a Steelers offense that is like pulling teeth offensively. Great. When you have Najee, 26 carries for 90-plus yards, and it's just not a big play explosive offense, but they made just enough plays in this one. Great bye week, by the way, for Baltimore. Yeah, right. Bengals lose. Everybody loses. Browns lose. Chargers lose. But the Steelers um, are lurking now. Sure. I mean, that point, you can't have everything, you know? You can't have everything. But no. a lot of teams that were relevant to the Baltimore Ravens this season lost when they didn't play. Uh, the, <clears throat> this was also one of those games where the Browns uh, weren't able to actually get that running game going all that well. As they, you know, Dearness Johnson coming off that really good Monday night game, he did find the end zone. But uh, Nick Chubb, I mean, the Steelers were swarming to the ball a couple, you know, really good stops in and around the line of, line of scrimmage. You just didn't have that game. The Browns needed that, I think, to take some of the pressure off Baker and the injury and all that stuff. They needed that run game to be the way it had been for a lot of the season 
weren't getting that. So nice job up front by the Steelers. Yeah, they had like three good gains. So Dearness Johnson had a really nice touchdown run. I think that was 11 yards. Nick Chubb had one 20-yarder right at the start of the game. I had one more later in the game that was a good gain. Outside of those, they basically gained nothing. So they had like the, those two combined for 20 carries. They combined for 83 yards. But of those 83 yards, like 20, 40, 50 or so came on those three carries. So the other, <laughs> the other 30 like 17 carries or something so like it just yeah they down to down didn't get an awful lot even if the numbers aren't quite as bad as they looked or this, as they were this is also remember the Steelers did win in week one against the Bills and this was the just like in that game the key touchdown for the Steelers was tipped it was like in the end zone fourth down to Pat Fryermuth gets tipped in the end zone Fryermuth incredible job uh keeping his concentration getting securing the ball as he's going down for the touchdown so again big ben yeah another just meh type of game overall but steelers pull it off so impressive that they are they're gonna be tough man they're just gonna they're just gonna play these types of games and be tough hope they can give up 10 did a really nice job starting to be concerned about the browns and this roster that we really really liked and, and they're having games like this um, they're scoring 10 points yeah sort of like i i, I think they're not in good. They're not in a good. Sh they're not in good shape right now. Um, they're also starting to be in a similar bucket to the Chiefs in terms of like you're running out of margin for error to lose games in the AFC. Where you know if you want to make the postseason and all those things, particularly they're they're better because they might not have a team run away with the division. But still, uh, their biggest problem though is what is the get right pathway. You can at least envisage a scenario where the Kansas City Chiefs stop turning the ball over and then they get to January and you still have Mahomes to Tyreek Hill to Travis Kelsey behind a good offensive line with Andy Reid calling the plays. Right. If you're Cleveland, like what is the what is the ceiling here? Because Baker Mayfield's shoulder is not healing this year. Like it's it's a torn labrum which needs surgery. So Baker is unlikely to ever play to the peak of his powers this season. Which means you need everything else singing. Like you need the run game to, get, to dominate. It'll feel a little bit though, and you'll start to get used to it. Maybe. I mean, do you see the way he's playing? Like that dude took three, four, five shots on his shoulder just yesterday, yeah. trying to protect himself. I, I think all the quarterbacks, man, they gotta they gotta start taking care of themselves. I've been critical of Baker because I think he's hurt. He's been part of the reason why he got hurt. We'll get to the Jameis in, injury. You have to. Some of them are freak injuries. You just, quarterbacks have to do a better job of taking care of themselves I and mean, avoiding those hits as much as possible. Particularly certain quarterbacks, and Baker is in that category. Well, the less, and again, particularly now, less like, athletic quarterbacks compared to the rest of the NFL, a Baker or Jameis, yeah. have to understand if you if you juke one guy, there's pro <laughs> that's giving somebody a head of steam to come get you. Yeah, right? and they're probably going to catch up to you soon. There are certain quarterbacks that have a staggering lack of awareness over like what you're capable of doing athletically on the field like Kirk Cousins had one yesterday where he escaped the pocket and started running to the the right flat like you're Kirk Cousins how can you possibly you're think you're Joe Flacco how can you possibly <laughs> think that you've now evaded all of the problems and you're just scampering away in that was the one where like, he broke down to the little juke right you're, just, you're like scampering away completely un uh, like unchased by anybody else like you've just escaped the car crash of a pocket at least one guy is chasing after you and if anybody's chasing you you're done and so he's way faster than get you. rid of the ball 
Anyway, we're going to get into uh, some of the other games as well. But NFL fans, you hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They got you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. Jess says it on the commercial, too. You've seen that DraftKings commercial. If Sportsbook isn't available yet in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. I hope so many of our listeners have taken advantage of this offer to just pick a team to win a game for 5 bucks, and you get $200 in free bets to play around all year. You must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get into the AFC South matchup here. Indianapolis Colts and Tennessee Titans. The Titans pull it off again. 34-31 in overtime. What a ridiculous, crazy game this was, Sam, right? It was tied up at, what, 24? Mm-hmm. Late in the game. And Carson Wentz throws one of the worst interceptions you'll ever see. A pick six, and uh, you said, you know what? Maybe it wasn't <laughs> as bad as it seemed. Well, no, it was terrible. I'm just saying that, like, throwing a pick six there is in actually the He's, he was in the end zone. Yes, he like was it a was it a setup screen or something? And he bailed from the screen, and then like pressure gets there, and now you're about to take a safety, so you just heave the ball out of the end zone straight into the waiting arms of a defender who scored. If you are in a situation where you're about to take a safety, you're actually better off throwing a pick six. Because so there's, there's you, one there's one thirty three left. Right. If you take a safety, you now have to kick the ball away and the Titans can basically then just sit on it and the game's over. If you throw the pick six, you get the ball back and okay, you're now down a touchdown, but at least you have the ball with time to answer. Like if you if if you take the safety, you're also down, but now they get the ball and the game's basically done. So, look in the hierarchy of like end results of that play, just an incomplete pass was like a, a runaway leader. But if you're in the situation where your options are safety or touchdown, take the touchdown. Yeah, this I'm watching it again. Also, by the way, no, I'm. I'm Definitely not suggesting that this went through Wentz's mind. Like he just heaved the ball out of the end zone. The human mind works quickly. Maybe he's like safety or pick six. Safety or pick six. This game had a bunch of weird plays in it. It also had one of the most crazy swings you will ever see in a game. So Ryan Tannehill throws a bad interception. The guy running it back blows out his knee like mid-run and loses the ball, right? Because, oh my God, my knee has just exploded. Like, the ball is a secondary concern at this point. You were just collapsing to the ground in pain. Ball comes out, the Titans recover it. I think on the very next play, or certainly like immediately afterwards, they score a touchdown to yeah. A.J. Brown. So, and that was, that was a third and 11 play that Tannehill, had, like they had no shot of converting. It was a bad pick. And so you went from like, I mean, what is the swing on that in EPA? Like, you go from um, turnover on a, on a third and long to actually you keep the ball and the next play you score a touchdown, which is huge in the outcome of the game. This is what the Titans do, man. Convert yeah. absurd, like, improbable plays that nobody's ever seen before? Uh, I just think they are, man, they are, they're just getting it done 
in unorthodox ways, right? And they I mean, were in a hole. Like the Colts converted some fourth downs early in the game. They were they went out there as if they needed this game, which they did. Went out there, they were running fourth downs. They were they put they were fourteen nil up, right? Yeah. Zero. Fourteen zero. Fourteen nothing. Yeah. Um, at one point. Uh, and then Tennessee started to peg it back. Yeah. Uh, it was just just a fascinating game overall. The the Titans this is one of the few games they stuck with Derrick Henry. 28 carries. He never broke one, right? He never had that, it hey, looked, I wore you down. He almost, like he got injured briefly. He was on the sideline. Shoe was off. They were looking at his ankle. It was like, uh-oh. Have we finally reached the point where Derrick Henry is mortal? No. Just no. strapped it back. Out we go again. 28 carries for, 60, for just 68 yards. That's 2.4 for carry. Didn't have a long more than nine. Uh, so... You know, it's it's one just such a it's just a crazy game, and in, in what the Titans do here, go to six and two, Colts fall to three and five. I mean, what a swing there because this was going to be the game that potentially gets you, gets the Colts right kind of back in that AFC South battle, and uh, wow! And, and here's the Titans stretch. I kept saying um, I picked the Colts to cover, and maybe even to win, but you know they were getting one and a half, right? Or were they? Yeah. Oh, they were favored by one and a half. They were favored by the end. So I think I picked the Colts because I was thinking, hey, the Titans, this is Bills on Monday Night Football. Chiefs, I, Titans keep answering the bell here. Their schedule is insane at this little run. They, I, they have now but had— it, evens, it eases up quite a bit. Yeah, which I think is, but not, uh, until well, not, gone, not until they've gone in a gauntlet of four of the toughest games they're going to face. Um, they had that incredible, like, emotional, draining Monday Night win against the Bills. You then have to face the Chiefs. You then have to face— the Colts in what is the single highest leverage game of the season. Not for them, for anybody. Like, this this game was the difference between the Colts being right back in the division and Tennessee essentially having it wrapped up after this game. Um, and then you think, ah, oh, finally, we're, we've got done with that schedule. Next week is the Rams. So, I mean, I, I, I mentioned on our live show that we've been kind of trying to predict there is something too, like, provable to the idea of, like, an emotional letdown, you know, a, a kind of come-down game the week after those kind of big highs. And you're like, is it going to be the Chiefs game? No. Nope. Yeah. Keep rolling. It, now. Is it, surely it's now, right? You've gone back-to-back of those games. Now you've got the Colts, and who the Colts who desperately need this game. Surely this is a letdown. And then, like, 14-0 into the game, you're like, yeah, there it is. Nope. There's Come the back. letdown, right? I, there... Um, I, so I tried to mention this. On, I was going to mention this on the live show, but I figure I don't have as much leeway to fold in the rugby talk on the live show as I do oh, on no. this podcast. Keep it tight. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. So go f- plenty of freedom here. Irish yeah. rugby great Paul O'Connell, of course, used to talk about how you can only go to the emotional well like so many times in a season before there's just nothing there anymore, right? You only got like so many trips. The Titans are like three into this now, and there doesn't appear to be any like lack of how much water is still in that emotional well so can it work for a fourth week in a row well they get the rams on sunday night football that's what i mean which is less of an emotional game and more you know because if you're going to lose a game you lose to the nfc it's it's you know matters less you know tiebreakers and the whole thing but it's awesome as far as two of the better teams in the nfl right now Uh, again i think i'm most impressed with the titans doing it with a lot of their injuries with Julio Jones not playing, so A.J. Brown takes over again. Uh, A.J. Brown, so it's vintage A.J. Brown, right? Just a, here's a deep out, catches it, and it's like, okay, this should be a 12, 13-yard gain. No, it's a 57-yard touchdown. That is what A.J. Brown has brought to the table since, you know, entering the NFL over these last couple of years is taking seemingly simple 
first downs and turning them into touchdowns. That was a huge play for the Titans in this one. And, you know, so them being able to create offense with Derrick Henry getting shut down, with no Julio Jones, Tannehill plays another solid game outside of the one bad decision you had mentioned. And uh, Carson Wentz on the other side, the interception streak that he was trying to end on Sunday Night Football against the 49ers certainly ended in this one. Um, I was re-watching that screen pass, man. So the screen's dead. Nice job by Denico Autry, you know, stopping it, essentially. Wentz could have – he had a chance to just bury it. And it – so I, I, I just feel like he just keeps trying to throw shovel passes. He, he threw this one lefty, by the way. The pick six we're talking about, he's in the grass, <laughs> switches the ball to his left hand, throws it up. Elijah Molden just jumps up, picks it, like the like a one-yard touchdown return for a touchdown. Um, of course, touchdown return for a touchdown. Mm, mm-hmm. But like even after that, Wentz was still in the grasp trying to shovel passes all the time. Like He has been just playing with fire for weeks here, and they finally came back to burn him. Yeah, he isn't, he isn't great at that whole understanding when a play is dead thing. Like... There are so many plays where, like, just, just, just stop. Stop. The play's over. Stop trying to do something. It's done. Like, uh, I don't know. This and was, he has been playing better. Like, this is an improved Wentz, and it's still, you know, if we could just rein that in just a little bit, we're in better shape. Yeah. Pivotal game, though, for the for the Colts now, falling to three and five. Now, disappointing start. It was already a disappointing start for them. They had a chance to rectify it in the last couple weeks, and that's going to be a tough one for them. All right, let's get through the rest of the ones. We'll talk about some of the big 4 o'clock in the Sunday night game. Let's go uh, Carolina 19, Falcons 13. Panthers saving their season, too. They moved to 4-4. Four and four. Falcons to 3-4. and four. They, broke, they broke my heart again, those Falcons. Every time I start buying into the Falcons, historically, they break your heart, Sam. Uh, Panthers defense played a much better game as you know, they get back on track. Sam Darnold played a pretty good game before he got concussed, mm. and uh, just a hard-fought nineteen to thirteen battle here. The Panthers pulling it off. Yeah, and look, they the player that they traded for, Stephon Gilmore, was the guy making the pick to seal the game. He did um, good battle, a good matchup with Kyle Pitts. By the way, we should mention Calvin Ridley uh, stepping away from football right now. Falcons wide receiver. Yeah, which is now the second one of these sort of mental health sabbaticals that's happened recently. Lane Johnson had a couple of games missing um, before he came back in the lineup. Uh, this sounds like a more long-term thing, potentially. Like yeah. stepping away from football is not like I need a quick short break and I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. That sounds like I'm out of here. He already missed uh, the London game, yeah. what they were calling, I don't even know what they call personal it. Personal reasons. Personal reasons. Personal term yeah. that he'd been using for this. Um, so this, this world where we had talked about, well, you know, they're unlocking Cordero Patterson. Kyle Pitts is a special talent, and you're going to get Ridley back. And um, so we're not going to see that necessarily. Best wishes to Ridley as he uh, leaves football for a little bit or whatever for whatever he does. Um, but this was one of those games where now the Falcons' offense, those those players that they had been depending on, you only get two catches for 13 yards from from Pitts. A couple of bad decisions from Matt Ryan. He didn't play nearly as efficient as he had in recent weeks. And again, you know, the Panthers, Panthers lurking around with that pretty good defense. Yeah, they are. But the, the Darnold thing makes it interesting because so uh, Gilmore makes the play. And remember, we were saying that the Gilmore move was a move from a team that thinks that they're going to be contending this year. Yeah. It's not really a move that you make for the future. It's a move you make because you think, oh, this is the season. We're actually good. Um, 
the quarterback situation has been belying that for the last few weeks. It's like, well, you're not as good as you thought you were because you don't have a good quarterback right now. Now, I was saying heading into that game that this was a great get-right spot for Darnold and that offense because Atlanta's defense is terrible. And that's exactly what we were seeing. Like, Darnold had his highest grade since that first three-game stretch where they faced a bunch of bad teams. So, like, Darnold goes as the bad defense in front of him goes. So his grades this this, uh, season, which you can read, at PFF Premium Stats 2.0. NFL Pod. NFL Pod. If you use the promo code NFL Pod to get 25% off. Um, his grades this week 70.1, week one, 73.3, 83.2, and then a sequence of 54, 43, 57, 41, and then this week, 85. So it's like, it's literally just how bad is the defense you're facing? Um, and or how shorn of talent and coaches are they when you play them? That will determine how well Sam Darnold plays. Um, Had a beautiful go ball. Yeah. Did, so, not get, did not get credit for it. A beautiful dig route, a couple big-time throws in there, and generally he took care of the ball. Right. Um, also, And eight carries for 66 yards, which, of course, ended up getting him hurt. Also tried to get his receiver killed. Like, Robbie Anderson took a whack across the middle. Um, but now you're like, so what do you do? Because you're not contending with Sam Darnold, the quarterback, and he's concussed. You're what do you mean, of, what do you do? Well, like, I mean, you're just sort of trapped now in just this throw weird in world towel. of, like... <laughs> just play football. I'm just like, we're not great. You just play football. I'm just, it's a Every weird position team, like, to be in. Because there's 32 teams in the NFL, there's really legitimately only two that should be thinking about, oh, are we, oh, should we tank? Like, are we actually better off getting a quarterback? But... With no sure thing at quarterback, and you know, maybe last year's class didn't have any sure things at quarterback either. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson at the top. So you just play football. That's it. Now, if you're saying roster moves for Stephon Gilmore versus, you know, should you make moves to go and try to win now? I don't know. You're 4-4. Four and four. Why not try to make a little run? The NFC is a little top-heavy. I think those top four or five playoff spots are going to be locked in, so there's not a ton of room. But you just play football, and you just try to make the Matt Rule era better here in year two. And games like this where you see the pass rush come back and do a really nice job with Hassan Reddick, Brian Burns, Derek Brown, all doing a nice job getting after the quarterback. Uh, and then Gilmore, again, he's locked up on Kyle Pitts on that last play. Gilmore, we saw, we saw that a little bit with the Patriots where he would play man against Travis Kelsey or another top tight end. Gilmore brings that versatility. Um, I don't love... It's also, but it's not a bad idea to get a, get a view of what Gilmore has left and what he brings to the table and how he fits in and if he's a guy that you want to re-sign. I don't love how Kyle Pitts played that particular play. He kind of he seemed to drift for yeah. no particular reason. And whilst it probably was going to be a contested catch anyway, like we've seen that's where Kyle Pitts lives. So, you know, give yourself a chance to contest the catch rather than just drift and let Gilmore pick it off underneath. The more like when you really watch these plays closely, you see how much the receiver and the path that they take, the route that they take, the physicality at the top of the route sometimes, how much that impacts the view of the throw. Yeah. And what sometimes looks like a horrible throw, like, well, idiot, what kind of throw is that? It's like, well, you're either trusting the receiver to win, sometimes you're trusting the receiver to get to a certain spot or at a certain angle, and those the, the attention to detail there or the physicality or whatever it is is really important for receivers and in, in that uh, receiver cornerback interaction. So as much it's as a good shout on that. As much as Kyle Pitts didn't have a great game, Cordell Patterson continues to be amazing. Like yeah, he caught was. everything, sent his way, scored a touchdown, um, had a you know had a couple of really nice runs in there as well. 
Patterson is kind of nuts. I know you love he's, him. He's one of the best surprises of this entire season. Like he, and he's still underused. Like as, as amazing as he's been this year, um, they're still not tapping into him as much as they could, and he's been their best player. Shaq Thompson makes his return since uh, first game since week four. Had the interception and uh, highest grade of his career right now, in part because you know quarterbacks are doing a bad job avoiding him, throwing the ball <laughs> right to yeah. him. Second interception this year, similar ones too, where Matt Ryan and Zach Wilson uh, kind of fired it right at him. But um, again, impressive effort with Shaq Thompson, Stephon Gilmore with his intercep- interception, those pass rushers that I mentioned leading the way defensively for the Panthers. Matt Ryan had been cooking heading into this game, and this was the worst game he's had for a while. Yeah. All right, let's go Dolphins-Bills. Bills pull away, 26-11. to 11. It was 3-3 three to three at the half. Uh, I think I picked uh, – did I end up losing? I ended up losing this one. What was the spread? It was well, 14 or something by the end. I lost this one. I thought the Dolphins – I picked the Dolphins to cover hmm. and was looking good for a while because yeah. it was 3-3 three, three at the half. And, I'm, and I was thinking that the Dolphins – Bills are a better team, but I thought the Dolphins were maybe better than their record and they were going to keep it close and the whole thing, but – the Bills just uh, just too good down the stretch. Pulled away for the 26-11 to 11 victory. Tua also comes back down to earth here a little bit in this one. These um, There have been a ton of these huge spreads so far this season, like double-digit, you know, 10-plus point games. And this was another one of them. But the interesting thing is, like, the teams with – the teams that are uh, heavily favored have a really good record in those games. Covering, um, you mean. Yeah, of like yeah. of of not just winning, obviously, but covering the insane point spreads. Um, so I think I, I'm pretty sure I picked the Bills to not just win but cover the point spread. And for most of the game, that wasn't looking great. Like even the end of the third quarter, it's what ten to three. It was a grind. The Dolphins kept this close for most of it, and then the Bills end up putting up 16 points in the fourth quarter, getting a 15 point win overall, which obviously covers. Um, it, it's just. The, the the distance that the Dolphins have fallen this year is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's it, it was another game where I thought the uh, the Dolphins' offense, you know, like Tua used play action. They had 16 dropbacks with play action, but it's still – we always we always say, hey, use play action a lot, right? Because generally it's a deeper route concept. It's a shot play. For the Dolphins, it's a lot – it's either the RPO or regular play action. It's a lot of, like, little hitches and curls, and it just felt like – like he averaged four and a half yards per attempt on play action yesterday. So it's you're just because you're faking it into the belly of the running back, that's not the benefit of this thing. It's it's because you're you're giving the defense a little bit of hesitation at the linebacker or even the safety level. Who anybody who has a run fit, a little bit of hesitation. You're trying to create big plays off of it, and the Dolphins are not doing that. So you're kind of like losing the benefit of of that. And uh, it was just it was difficult offense again for the Dolphins. And we. You know, Credit the Bills' defense. I mean, we said two was big games coming up against the Jags and the Falcons. A couple rough defenses the last few weeks. Bills made it a lot, a lot more difficult. And any time two threw the ball down the field, it seemed like those passes were contested by Bills' defensive backs. Yeah, um, they're just in. The Dolphins are in such a rough spot because Tua doesn't look great. On the other hand, the situation around him is terrible. Like that offensive line got destroyed again. Four out of the five members essentially got pretty well dominated by Buffalo. Um, 
And, like, there's only so much you can do as a quarterback. Like, they're in this weird spot where Tua is actually elevating the people around him. Like, we've seen that going from Tua to Brissett and back again. The offensive line looks better when yeah. Tua is in there. They run a lot more of these RPOs. They hide the deficiencies the deficiencies way better. And he makes some of the receivers look better. Like, he, Jalen Waddell is a different player when Tua is the quarterback to when Brissett is. On the other hand, he's elevating them from like absolutely disastrous and catastrophic to just bad. So how useful is that to you? Like, is there mileage in, is there mileage in the fact that even a um, terrible situation, the quarterback will look okay if he's got a future? Like, should we be looking at last year's Bengals and being like Joe Burrow looking as good as he did in that situation is actually a signal that, hey, he can be really good if it's like as soon as you surround him with a Jamar Chase and start building the thing properly, now Joe Burrow can look really good. Um, and the fact that Tua hasn't, even if the situation is bad, kind of says that he doesn't really have a shot. I think you're, when you say elevating, I, do you mean just the offense looks good and efficient or? No, it, it's better. Or he's just not getting sacked. It's better when a he's there. standard. It's better when he's there than when he isn't. He is elevating the people around him in a way that Brissett doesn't. And Brissett isn't like a, like, Brissett is not a no-hope quarterback. Brissett is a good backup quarterback who sure. can start a couple of games, and Tua makes the things around him look better than he does. Tackles were a huge issue yesterday. Jesse Davis gives up eight pressures. Liam Eikenberg gives up six. Uh, again, the pass, pass blocking grade in the 50s for the Dolphins. There were a lot of plays where it was just, it, and again, I, I mentioned these RPOs in the play action as, you know, those are the, the, the Dolphins, are, they have the complementary plays. They have the, if the entire offense is, uh, is flowing and you, you steal play, you steal five yards here and seven yards there, like that's where an RPO or like the quick hitting play action game occurs or it replaces the run game. They don't really have this, okay, well, if we don't have that situation, if it is third and long or we do need a big play, it's just not there. And, and I think a lot of that is the offensive line. They got, they did get wrecked again by a really good Buffalo defensive front. They, and Buffalo continues to just, you know, six pressure, pressures from Jerry Hughes. Gregory, uh, Gregory Rousseau had five. Uh, you get uh, A.J. Epinesa in there with a nice bull rush, too. I mean, they had 25 total pressures assigned to various players. Mario Addison, Ed Oliver. Um, just, a, just a much better effort by the Bills up front. Uh, Bills defense kind of back back a little bit here remember we were talking about them as one of the league's best there is no league's best defense that fluctuates we don't really have a team that is dominant defensively but um, this is a good effort by the bills yeah teams facing bad offenses will suddenly have really Always. good defenses um so yeah i mean there's not that much to take out of this from a buffalo point of view they eventually handle business and beat the team they were supposed to beat all along and they beat them apparently by slightly more than vegas thought they would so job done for Buffalo. We got out of here. We got the win and let's move on. Fun Josh Allen game, by the way. No big time throws. <laughs> that throw no you showed plays. me was insane. Yeah. So he, uh, so there's a play where Josh Allen and we, you know, while we're reviewing the plays, it's like, okay, what's happening here? Um, oh, he did have a fumble in there. Sorry. Um, but Allen, he kind of sees uh, there's a two on one in the A gap. He sees there's going to be unblocked pressure. So he kind of panics a little bit and sprints he scrambles into the right tackle who's getting bull rushed a little right. bit but tries it's not a tries to bad escape block. to the right but basically escapes into a brick wall yeah so he jump, he runs <clears throat> into his brick wall mm -hmm. aka the right tackle 
bounces back off of him, is falling backwards, and then tries to throw the deep over route, like 15, yeah, so 20 like yards down the field. Stumbling directly backwards, falling over, you know, ass first. It was Jameis. It was this. It was yeah, this. it was absolutely a full Jameis play. Except he was probably all the way vertical. i got to get a good screen. And that. attempts to, like, throw it all the way back to the left, like, sort of all, it, in, like, a weird angle, like, behind himself. Um, and actually... A, flung it an absurd distance. Like, I don't understand how you even get that kind of distance based off throwing it from falling over backwards. But also, more or less, in the right direction. Like, yeah. I mean, it didn't connect, but it went way closer than it had any right to. That should be, uh, that should be at pro days now. Yeah? You know, like if Josh Allen, he threw the ball like 89 yards or whatever it is pro day. You know that thing that, uh, like kids would do to prank you know somebody like crouches over behind your legs and then the other guy pushes you over oh, so yes. at a pro day you get two guys to do that you give them the ball right and so you get said, pushed over yeah and then and as you're mid, falling mid fall you got to throw to somebody hit the crosser. on a crosser at like 15 yards downfield and i'm thinking it doesn't even matter it's just you're just throwing for distance really <laughs> we're just it's an arm strength test it's are you falling over josh allen style it's still throwing a somewhat competitive pass down the field can you throw with enough velocity when when you have not just no platform but you in fact aren't even standing on the ground uh this was one of those games too uh, we'll talk about it when the bengal in the bengals game maybe a little bit in the same uh bucks game where you've got two favorites where it felt like they should pull away and they you know in those other games they did it's the bills did right they pulled away they they showed that they were the better team when they needed it. Allen either you know scrambling for a touchdown to seal it completely seal the deal, um, or or a bunch of key first downs but you know, to to Cole Beasley. The Bills were just a better team in the end, despite being three to three at the half here. Uh, let's go Eagles Lions. We got to touch on this one because I tweeted out that we were going to. Yeah. By the way, um, continue to send us emails. We've got some good emails. We'll be using them for the Wednesday show primarily, but NFL podcast singular at pff.com. Send us uh, thoughts, questions, cool stories. I don't have that many cool stories yet. I like the... Uh, More Jason Kelsey stories. I like the Jason Kelsey hockey story. So, you know, if you've got any cool stories, send them along. Um, we will read out the best emails. We will answer questions on the Wednesday show. And, you know, maybe we'll give out some cool things. Ben has show, Ben has screenshotted for us. Oh, perfect. The Josh Allen Tweet pass. Tweet it. Uh, we can't yet. Okay. We cannot yet until... Stupid tape. Until there are official... <sighs> All 22. Everybody else is out there tweeting the All 22. Why can't we just tweet well, the All 22? Not everyone else has the All 22. They not do, that we though. Do. Nobody has the All 22 right now. No, We're of course. Nobody. Nobody so, except all of the other people tweeting it. Alan is... Uh, what the hell are you doing? I'm just going to... He's he's almost completely vertical, like horizontal like that. He's you a, are at oh, least... Oh, I showed the sweatpants. Oh, yeah. That's Shoot, a shame. That's you bad. are at least 15 years removed from having the flexibility to achieve anything <sighs> like that. Definitely can't do it. Yeah. We're running out of, in my age, we're running out of like guys I could watch a baseball game and say, hey, I played with that guy. There's like three dudes left. That's we're all old and retired. Hopefully, Ben will now screenshot yours and then put it next to Josh Allen's. Yeah, Ben, if we can get a little side-by-side of me. and I'm, I'm better at imitating Jameis's throws. I'm not sure you're a great mimic of either of them, to be honest. The Jameis one I'm pretty good at. I, yeah. I need your Eagles-Lions takes now, though. 44-6. to six. <laughs> Uh, I mean, <laughs> the Lions have not recovered from their Super Bowl. Yeah, loss. Super Bowl hangover for the Lions. <laughs> Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, that's what it is. The Eagles' offensive line was just dominant in this game. Like 
it's a really good unit when it's healthy. And okay, they're missing some interior players. They've had to go to backups, but you know, a guy like Landon Dickerson is a good player anyway. So yeah. it's not the worst thing in the world that that's happened. Um, and they've got their tackles back, like Mylata, uh, Lane Johnson. These guys just laid waste to the Detroit Lions defensive front, and you know they didn't have Miles Sanders, and it didn't matter who was there, whether it was Kenneth Gainwell, whether it was the guy, the hero, Boston Scott, whether it was um, Jordan Howard getting carries at the goal line. Like they were just, they had their way, and uh, Jalen Hurts didn't have to do much, and he's going to end up with a good grade. He made some plays, and there's just this constant like frustration of the ones he leaves behind, right? Like Tyrodian. Yeah, like the number of times he rolls right and then just misses the field. Like just give it a chance. Like just put it somewhere that it's it's at least possible to catch it. Um, you know, has another one where he's rolling left, it gets tipped, but it was going to be a bad pass anyway. Like there's just these plays that if he was making, he would be a really good quarterback. But he isn't and you kind of get this feeling that he never will which sort of leaves you trapped in this world of like, yeah, now we've got Jalen Hurts, a quarterback. Yeah. But, but like, this Hurts is the game where it discussion. shows you the idea that he's getting benched is kind of silly. Like, no, but, well, so this is, this is what I thought the Eagles offense would look a little bit more like. Now, the final box score looks like a college game. They had 46 carries as a team for 236 yards. I mean, that's a co- where Hurts only dropped back 14 times. That looks like a college game. But Hurts getting seven carries in there for 71 yards. Did Ben post it somewhere? Oh, there it is. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> Your face. Your face is great. Yeah. <gasps> and the meme guy's going to run with it, too. <laughs> Tweet it at him. He'll love it. Love meme guy. Uh, what is your up. point now? This is what's happening. I don't know. I'm going to tweet it. Hurts, Eagles, what were you saying? He, you know, he carries seven times, and you've got three backs with 12. I know it's ga- it's a game flow thing, but it felt like this offense where it was going to be run first and yeah. you know, use Hurts and then you know a simpler passing attack. I mean, they had games where their running backs had like four carries, right, or three carries earlier in the season. And then they have this one where they run the ball 46 times. Um, I really You talked about the emotional, the, the rugby guy, the, the emotions and stuff. The, great the, the emotional well. Yeah. Well, Dan, Dan could not get the Lions back to the emotional well for this one after the no. Super Bowl loss um, to the Rams. Paul O'Connell's other claim to fame, by the way, he was on a show called A Question of Sport. Of and one of the rounds is like, um, what's the show where you have like the blank letters and you get one or two and you got a wheel guess of fortune. thing? There you go. Uh, so he had like, it was essentially a wheel of fortune thing, right? And they had two letters. It was like I and E or something. And it was this giant string of things. And he's like... Uh, would it be uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach? Like, random German Bundesliga team. And uh, it turned out it was. Everyone was just like, that's just absurd. There's no reason anybody would ever get that. Ever. Like, ridiculous. So one of the best guesses ever on a show like that, in addition to being, you know, one of the greatest rugby players ever and a guy who has a great metaphor for the emotional well. What a life. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll honor him on one of our Wednesday shows. Yeah, with I mean, more stories. Absolutely. Just like that. I don't have that many more Paul O'Connell stories, but sure. I'm, I'm glad. We've, yeah. We've tapped that well as well. <laughs> the emotional well. Anyway, I don't have much more to add to, the, add to this. Eagles move to 3-5 and five here. Uh, poor Lions are 0-8. Yeah. I did think Jared Goff and the Lions were going to be tank-proof, but it's uh, 
they're just over they're just outmanned man is they're is, outmanned. Dan, is dan campbell going to be part of two different winless teams in his lifetime one as a player one as a coach no i think they'll there's a couple more emotional wells for them to get to here oh, yeah this a couple year more emotional yeah this We're, was just a tough letdown game after last week which was against the rams and and we'll go to the rams game right now i said the rams God, they're I, not going to. They're going to dominate. Now look, thirty-eight to twenty-two does not do this thing justice. Just looking at Detroit's schedule, there are not that many games remaining. I know, I know that are potential wins at Pittsburgh, at Cleveland. Okay, that's easier than it used to be. Chicago at home, Minnesota at home, at Denver, Arizona, at Atlanta. There's your big one. Um, at Seattle, week seventeen, where Russ was probably back, and the final game, Green Bay, like. You got to be targeting that Week 16 Atlanta game. That's your Super Bowl to get one win. Yeah, maybe they'll sneak one before that. the uh, The Lions are just overmatched every week. The Texans were overmatched in this one. Um, if this, if there was a fifth quarter in this game, the uh, the Texans, you know, they were they had 22 unanswered in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So the Texans maybe win if they if they had a fifth quarter. No, they don't get it. Like this was. <laughs> It was 38 to nothing going into the fourth quarter, much yeah. like it was 38 to nothing in the Lions and Eagles game. The Rams at this point were like dominant in, game by the yeah. Rams. The Rams were like in the pool, cooling off at the end of the game, and then Texans start racking up a few points towards the end. It's like, uh oh, this could actually get a bit close. No, it's just it's over. The uh, the MVP hype will squarely be on Matthew Stafford's shoulders after this week. 21 of 32 for 305, three touchdowns, passer rating of 127.7, nine and a half yards per attempt. Another solid game, even though he did miss a few. Oh, he could have had more touchdowns. Hmm. He missed a few open throws as well. But, you know, Stafford playing good, solid football again. People want us to acknowledge that. The Stafford thing is fascinating because um, he doesn't have a great grade this year relative to where his numbers say he should it's be. It's good. It's right where I expected it it's to be. It's good, but 83. it's not like... But it's also like below. It's also it's his career high as of now, and if you play at this level, he will he will end up at eighty seven, eighty eight. Right, but Stafford's career high is not a tremendously high bar to clear, is which is the kind of point we've been making heading into the season. But the point being, it's like below, you know, a whole collection of quarterbacks like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, in addition to the ones you would expect it to be below, like Tom Brady, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's not that good a grade relative to where his statistics would put him, which is, you know, he leads the NFL in touchdowns, those kinds of things, right? Well, he's not leading in touchdowns. Where close. is he? He's right up there. Second. Okay, second, sorry. But, like, his statistics basically put him as the first or second best quarterback across the board, and his grade doesn't put him anywhere near that. So you're like, well, what's the disconnect there? And it, it's this fascinating thing where Stafford, the reason Stafford has never been quite as good as the hype surrounding him is because he misses a ton of throws. And there's a, a huge amount of real estate left on the table f- from the plays that Stafford doesn't make, but everybody always focuses on what he can do. He's like the classic scouting pitfall of a can-do player. Like, he can make all the throws, and he can do all these crazy things, and when the play breaks down, look at this. There's like three guys in the NFL can make this play, and here he is over here making these no-look passes that Patrick Mahomes has made look cool. Like, Stafford is the epitome of a can-do quarterback, but the, the thing that separates a can-do quarterback from Tom Brady is the plays you're not doing, like the ones you didn't make where Brady just has a much higher baseline on those than you do. And not just Brady, but obviously a ton of other quarterbacks as well. So Stafford is still the can-do player. But what's interesting is in 
Los Angeles, just the the capacity to be a can-do quarterback has opened up a whole world of things that clearly were not on the table for that offense previously. So right now, Matthew Stafford already has more touchdown passes than Jared Goff had all of last year. Um, his, the distribution of the passes is just a completely different world. Like, he might have big, more big-time throws than Goff, uh, Goff had all last year. Entirely possible. Um, check. The Although I wouldn't. He's only got 15 of them. Uh, no, but I know. That still... Goff might have been in the 15 range. But, like, the point is, putting Stafford in this offense has completely transformed what this offense is. Goff had 13. Okay, there you go. Even if Stafford's down-to-down performance isn't anywhere near as good as the number. So, you know, we make this point all the time that, like, usually when you have a massive difference in um, PFF grade and overall production, like, the makeup there is coaching and or supporting cast probably more more coaching than supporting cast um i think that's still true here but it's being driven by the fact that stafford allows you to do these things that Goff didn't right so you in on one side you had this quarterback that was essentially this giant like albatross hanging around the neck of this offense that just enabled sean mcveigh to do nothing and the guy was just sitting there getting more and more miserable and frustrated that his rolls royce of an offense was being kept at 20 miles an hour in the slow lane not able to function um and then you get the other side of it you got matthew stafford who enables all the things that this offense was supposed to be able to do all of it is now back on the table all of it is open in the playbook they're calling whatever they want um and the production like the end result of that is these incredible numbers and the best offense in the nfl and all those kinds of things so from a team point of view, it doesn't matter that Stafford like isn't quite as good as the hype because who cares? Like the, the whole point of all this is to win games, to put up production. It doesn't matter what you're leaving on the table. But what, what you're leaving on the table is the difference between like you and the very, very best quarterbacks in the NFL. So I will happily admit that this is having a way more impactful uh, degree of success than I thought it would have putting Stafford in this offense on the other hand Stafford hasn't even had that stretch where he looks elite for three games not that it always happens in a row but there's usually three or four games where he looks ridiculous he actually hasn't had that again just to you know explain the grades a little bit 83 grade 81 passing grade he's playing well Stafford's playing well our prediction was he'll my prediction before the season he'd have a career high grade so you'd get a little bit of a bump from a grade standpoint in a in a very good system, not just Sean McVay's system, but this particular iteration of it, which is Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. I thought Deshaun Jackson would be a part of it. He's now asked for a trade. He was. And really. he was, <laughs> and he did create some big play opportunities already for Stafford. Uh, but uh, Van Jefferson in there with Higby at tight end. So they have all these playmakers, right? And they've got a pretty good play caller. And you had a feeling that the offense was going to be a little bit better with Stafford versus Goff. I think a lot of this is playing out as expected. And yeah. then you get now... Now, over nine yards per attempt for the year and 118 passer rating, and he's number one in ESPN's QBR and all these different things. Those are great, but I think, you know, you see a play like yesterday that doesn't show up in those stats. He tried to throw an interception in the end zone, gets dropped, or and it gets dropped plus it was, uh, they call it a holding on Vernon Hargraves. Next play throws yeah. a touchdown, right? So those are the plays that are showing up in our grading that literally don't show up in QBR. You actually get credit probably in QBR because there was a penalty. It doesn't show up. 
in passer rating or yards per attempt or anything like that. Um, so, and I'm not like, the, and there's just a few plays like that. He's playing every well. game. Yeah, he's yeah. not playing like the best quarterback in the NFL, right. despite the stats saying that. That's and, all. And look, you have to. You know, we've been. This is the theme this year. Like, you have to actually look at who they're playing. And this year, like this game, this week. I mean, the Texans are just a disaster. Like. Yeah, he's they, had back-to-back weeks against the Lions and the Texans, the two teams that we said are just, I mean, they just and they've been, struggle to compete with NFL teams they've on a weekly basis. Two of his best grades of the season. Like, the Texans, the Rams could have won by double digits if you had told them they weren't allowed to pass the ball. If you had said, you can only call run plays in this game, <laughs> they would have won by double digits because the Texans' run fits were a joke. Like, they just were in wrong gaps. They weren't defending certain gaps because they have to play with too high at all times because we run the system um, like this was ugly. They the Rams ran the ball 31 times for 165 yards. And, you know, a huge amount of that was late in the game where they're just trying to chew the clock up. Like they could have just had whatever they wanted to do. And obviously when you're having that much success on the ground, the pass game is going to be opened up. Like they were absolutely dominant against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So that part is to be expected. I do, I do agree that the, uh, Matthew Stafford um, acquisition has had a bigger impact than I thought it would have on the offense overall. But I think the idea that Matthew Stafford is the MVP, I think, is overdone. If, if you view it through the lens of we grade every player on every play, our grades have been proven to be the most consistent quarterback measure year over year. It is more consistent than anything else that's out there. Um, so clearly there's it, there's meaning there. If you view it through that lens, I'd say Matthew Stafford's not the MVP. Actually, yeah, I want to revise my thought a little bit. Okay. Matthew Stafford has a case for MVP as long as you view MV, as long as you are hyper-focused on the value element of MVP and actually view it as not a performance award. So if you are if you want to make the case that look at the difference between last year's offense and this year's offense That's what I was, that, was that difference is Matthew Stafford therefore there is no more valuable quarterback in the NFL except maybe Lamar Jackson for whom the entire offense is built upon um, if you want to make that case I actually think you can construct a fairly solid case that Matthew Stafford is MVP if you just view MVP as a proxy for player performance on the year, which I would say most people do, then Matthew Stafford does not belong in the MVP conversation, let alone is the MVP. Yeah, that was the point I was going to make, and you you jumped to it too. If you do Sorry. the A-B analysis of Goff offense last year, similar personnel, not not the same exactly, but similar to Stafford now, you could make that case. If you, also, if you go by the fact that the best quarterback performance is inherently the most valuable that you could have, and, and volume matters in there too. Um, that's where PFF War comes in. Then you would. Which I was just looking at Matthew yeah. Stafford currently ranks fifteenth in PFF. That's not War. updated yet, though. That's not updated. It'll update later today. That number. Okay, heading into yesterday, he ranks fifteenth. Yeah. Um, part of it not being like play, he's playing well, not at a high, not necessarily at a high volume, which means you're not relying on that player as much. So again, that's yeah, it depends on how you're viewing that. But the hype will be there this week. Rams win. And uh, if, if you're, we'll talk more about the NFC later when we talk a little Bucks Saints. Um, also, I we we don't have this clipped because you know, <laughs> you know, uh, but we said a while ago that there's a pretty good chance Cooper Cup leads the NFL in receiving this year. I mean, that's dead on course. The guy's on pace for like 2,000 yards and Dude's 21 touchdowns. They're doing some. Uh, they're doing some really nice things. That I mean, that's the other. You you can't 
separate what they are doing from a coaching standpoint. We mentioned their third and tens this year, yeah. how they're scheming those open. They're doing a great job. Like Cooper Cup is wide open yeah. all day, every day. And that's a huge factor too. Um, Bengals and Jets, man, Bengals with a golden opportunity. And, um, you know, a lot of people mentioned this is the backup quarterback week, huh? The week of the backup QB with Mike White, Geno Smith, Cooper Rush, Trevor Simeon. Who else I miss? Other guys? Anyone else in there? Justin Fields, who's a backup? <laughs> so this was, we, this was like the worst possible scenario for Zach Wilson. Like so far, heading into this week, the only thing in Zach Wilson's favor is that at least when Mike White came in, he looked worse. You know, last week when he got in, when when Wilson got injured. So you're like, okay, it's been basically a disaster from start to finish for me in my rookie year, but at least I looked better than the backup. Now the backup rolls out there and throws for 400 yards, which, by the way, he is now the second quarterback in NFL history to throw for 400 yards on his debut. The first one being Cam Newton. So in his first start. Yes, first start. Wow. Um, yeah. So Mike White goes out there, balls out, like makes some really good throws, has an incredible amount of production, gets a win, an upset win over the number one seed at that point. Now, okay, the you know Bengals number one seed, sure, that was a little bit like artificial, but nonetheless, number one seed. And all of a sudden, Zach Wilson's looking at this, being like, oh yeah, now now we've got some problems because now now my backup's playing better than me. And now I just got nothing going for me. Yeah, Mike White played pretty well. And yeah, not... Look, it's still early in these rookies' careers here. But... Mike White opened the game 10 straight completions. Yeah, and he had two interceptions, both of which hit his receivers, bounced off his receivers, and were kind of unlucky. They were also consecutive plays as well. Like, apparently Mike White only does things in, like, sequences. (laughs) Um, he finishes 37 for 45 for 405. Uh, it was a lot of underneath passing, but it was just a good, quick, I say the word efficient so much, but a good, crisp, underneath passing game. It looked like Zach Wilson looked in the preseason. Like this, is what, like, this is what this offense looked like it was going to be. And then the regular season happened, and Wilson just kind of collapsed. Yeah. Anyway, that was from a, from a Bengal standpoint, though. Again, this was as I mentioned earlier, this was one of those games where it's like, okay, they're a nine and a half point favorite in this thing. They're the better team. And they're supposed to pull away, right? They're supposed yeah. to pull away. And it, and they they try. Like every time I mean they were up what nine in the fourth quarter? They're up by two scores in the fourth quarter. Um but the Jets also had some of those freak plays, like the Shaq Lawson tip and interception, incredible play to get the Jets back in here. The Bengals just did not have that they call it killer instinct but to to just seal the deal here to just pull away from a lesser team uh whether it was quinn and williams making a huge third down uh, sack on the goal line or you know shaq lawson's interception like the jets kept making these plays to to hang in there an impressive job by the jets but just so disappointing if you're a bengals fan thinking okay this is our year we're coming off this huge win against the ravens and then you have this disappointing effort against the jets yeah they also by the way got completely screwed at the end of the game with the um, helmet yes helmet to helmet play two minute drive essentially to win the game um now it wasn't going well anyway uh third down and six you get a, a penalty for false start so it's now third and 11 they deliver a pass a kind of check down that wasn't going anywhere anyway so they were it, the drive was essentially over um for or for the for the jets 
Um, the Jets have the ball. The Bengals trying to stop them, get the ball back, have a chance to win the game. Um, they've got this drive in trouble. So it's third and 11. Then Mike Hilton comes up and they, they charge him with a helmet-to-helmet hit on the receiver. When he was knee height, like he's coming in to take a receiver that's coming across the face of him, head down, knee height, and the receiver bracing for impact essentially ducks all the way down to the point where they end up colliding helmet to helmet. There has to be some kind of mitigation for what the ball carrier does for well, it to be helmet to helmet. the ball carrier drop, like lowering his head is supposed to be a penalty. Yeah, but it's like which guy initiates contact? Is it the guy that's coming in to tackle or the guy that lowers his head to brace for impact? Like, they're both did, it's right? It's just a horrible way to finish the game. What it's just, it, it's, it's, it's so, you cannot, there's a degree to which you can say, okay, defenders cannot aim at a certain area. That's essentially what we're trying to do here, right? We are trying to say, you as a defender cannot aim at the head and neck area. That is a penalty. But if a guy is aiming for the knees, and the, the ball carrier drops his helmet so, lo- so low that he collides with, with helmet to helmet, you didn't aim there. Like, you were aiming somewhere right. completely different. The guy dropped to the point where, where it hit him in the head. Like, and again, it's the rugby show. Rugby has this thing where there's mitigation, right? There's what was the outcome, which in this case is helmet to helmet, and there's are there any mitigating factors to take away what would be punishment. Yeah. And in this case, there would be. It's like, yes, the mitigating factor being I aimed for his knee and he ducked his head down there. Yeah, that's, you know. So that. And it's all happening so fast. That literally. you're expecting the defender to be able to control that. Yeah, and that literally ends the game for them, essentially, right? They go from, it's third and 11 on the Jets 20. So if you get this stop, and the uh, it was at the, like, the line of scrimmage, essentially, it's going to be fourth and 10, from their 20, they're going to kick you the ball. You're going to have something like a minute and 40 seconds to drive and win the game. Instead, first down at the 35, they can they need one first down, right? And they knee light the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 rough that that was the the finish to this game. That was a that was one of the worst calls of the season and there've been some pretty horrendous calls. There's some this bad season. ones just this weekend. Yes. I think the well, I don't know if we'll talk about the specific calls, but Minnesota, Dallas. I thought Tampa Bay, New Orleans had some rough ones. I mean, there were some really bad, impactful calls in uh, this weekend. Um, again, from a Jets perspective, good job. Yeah, you just uh, Michael Carter too had a really nice game. He did at uh, corner, and Ty Johnson had one of the best touchdowns of the week. He was awesome. That, that was that play was awesome. He went up the sideline, like toe tapped down the sideline for like ten yards, and somehow kept every foot in. He was. That play, he should have been tackled at like the 11-yard line, should have been hit out of bounds at like the 6, definitely at the 2, and somehow none of those things happened, and he managed to extend the ball uh, inside the pylon and scored a touchdown on the play. I mean, these, those are the plays. If you're, looking, if you're a Lions fan, if you're a Texans fan, you want to, and, and, you know, you're a Jets fan. You don't have, you're probably not making the playoffs this year, not just going on on a limb, probably not making the playoffs. But that's what you want to see. You want to see like who's going to be, who's a part of the rebuild, who's a part of the future here. Keelan Cole has this incredible touchdown that you know gets negated, you know, one-handed catch. The Ty Johnson play, Can't Mike White makes an, his touchdown to Braxton Barrios was an incredible throw, yeah. like right along the sideline. Michael Carter and Bryce Hall having good games. I mean, that's what you're looking for if you are 
uh, you know, say a Jets fan or a team that's not necessarily making the playoffs and you just want to see these young players. And it was a you know, really fun win for the Jets. The Keelan Cole catch was absurd. And they're like, there are certain plays where they're so amazing, I think we should try less hard to turn them, to overturn them on replay. Oh, I know your theory on it. Like, okay. That was so good. Just make it count. Forget the rules. Yeah. A little just bit. forget the rules. Look. Just make it work. Okay. Maybe not to the point where we go, we completely ignore the obvious. So, you know, on this play, when you looked at the replay from a certain angle, it was pretty clear he lost it on the way down. On the other hand, why look? Why, why find that angle? Right? It's an amazing catch. He lands inbounds. Why are we looking? You know, just let's move on. It's a great play. Well done, Keelan Cole. That's fantastic. Kick the extra point. Let's move on. Like, why, why go hunting for that second angle on that play? If it's a, you know, routine touchdown, okay, we can spend some time on this. Forget the rules. We can check if this one actually came out. On the other hand, forget that was an absurd one-handed catch. So let's just, you know, quick glance at the replay from the first angle. Yeah, it looks fine. Move on. Kick it. Let's go. I don't need to see the second replay. I don't need to see it. Just forget the rules. I also, the... Feels. On Thursday night, yeah. uh, Mercedes Lewis makes an insane one-handed catch oh, in the incredible. back of the end zone. Only gets one foot down. Multiple people on my timeline, admittedly after prompting, uh, suggested that you own, you, you know, the rule, you need two feet down in the NFL, only one for college. But a you, one-handed catch. You need the number of feet down that... Uh, uh, to equate the number of hands that were required to catch the ball. So if you catch the ball with your face mask. Yes. No feet could, at all. You could be in the stands. Uh-huh. If you somehow manage to catch the ball without using your hands at all, you don't even need feet down. It's, it's just a touchdown. If you get Now one, we're talking for NFL rules. If There's a lot a, of bad NFL rules in there. But. If it's a one-handed catch, you only need one foot. And if it's a two-handed catch, you need both feet. I think that's fair. I could Wednesday, just Wednesday for all the rules discussion. Don't forget, <laughs> let's get there. Uh, just want to put a bow on this from a Bengals perspective. Sad, very disappointing. You're sitting there as the the number one seed. If the playoffs ended last week, you're the number one seed. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Bengals fall to five and three. And um, as much as it's like, hey, here's this impact win against the Ravens in the division. This is going to turn things around in the Joe Burrow era. You got to win these games if you're going to be a, a top high-end team. And the Bengals didn't. Just they felt like they were going to pull away, but a couple uh, the credit the Jets, but the Bengals some rough plays at the end to to let the Jets back in in the fourth quarter. Awesome. And again, credit Mike White. He's he's not going to have the best grade in the world despite the stats. Four and a half average depth of target. Yeah, had a lot of yards after the catch and the whole thing, but crisp offense. Man, did not miss a ton of throws. Yeah. Um, and overall played a really nice game. Right, like, you know, the, the, t- the incredible Ty Johnson touchdown we're talking about, like, that's, that's going to go down as a Mike White touchdown. It's a Mike White touchdown, yeah. Where, realistically, he had, I mean, that, that was at least 11 yards and a touchdown that shouldn't have been credited to Mike White, that should be only credited to Ty Johnson. But, yeah, those are, those are reasons that his grade won't necessarily be quite as spectacular as uh, the numbers. All right, let's touch on Seahawks-Jaguars a oh, little bit here. 31-7. to seven. Yeah. Seahawks dominating this game. Geno Smith goes 20 for 24 for a buck 95, two touchdowns. Tyler Lockett catches 12 for 142. DK Metcalf catches six for 43. And that was it. I mean, Gerald Everett and you know, Travis Homer caught the other two 
catches. So Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf accounted for 18 of the 20 completions for the Seahawks. And hey, why wouldn't you just throw to those guys? Also, it's still hilarious to me that DK Metcalf working all the underneath stuff, but he's doing it pretty well. Um, Gino with a really nice back shoulder throw to him. He looked really good other than taking three sacks for 35 yards. When Gino takes a sack, man, he is just losing yardage. But um, he threw the ball really well. Yeah, he did. Uh, um, Gino Smith's capable of good games. We've seen that in the past. Like, there, in fact, earlier in his career, there was that run of every like, late in the game. Mr. Or late, 17. Yeah, yeah, late in the season, he would always have like a cup, two or three games that would make you go, ooh, does Gino have a future as a starting quarterback? Which makes me think, in an 18-week season now, is he still going to be Mr. Week 17 or... Will that carry over to week 18? Do you think he'll be Mr. Week 17 and 18 or just Mr. Week 18? Or just Mr. Week 17? I mean, I don't think he'll be playing in week 17. I would. He's so good in week 17. I would do that. That's the analytics. You'd start him over Russ? Yes. That's what the analytics say. I I guarantee if you go back through the archives and you say, hey, week 17, who's a better quarterback, Geno Smith or Russell Wilson? I bet Geno's grade's better. I would be willing to bet it isn't. I, we have that capability with PFF Ultimate. I would be right, willing you, to bet. You talk about this game while I <laughs> look things up. I, would be, I don't have enough <clears throat> things to say about this game for you to be able to run that query in Ultimate. But <clears throat> like oh, the Jags were getting swept in this game. It was 31 nothing. Uh, no, it wasn't 31 nothing. It was 20-something nothing. 24 nothing, I believe. They score a touchdown late on. They don't go for two, which they would have needed to do to have any – remote prayer of tying this game let alone winning then go for the onside kick and as if fate was punishing them for making the wrong decision the onside kick was returned for a touchdown not just not recovered but like taken straight back and seattle scored another score um i'm ready what do you got since 2012 Okay. The highest pass. We'll just use passing grade for now. Yes. Highest passing grades on week in week seventeen. Uh huh. Peyton Manning. No, no, no. I, I, Russ Gino. I don't care about Peyton Manning, though. That is interesting. Well, this is interesting <clears throat> because Peyton Manning's number one at ninety point five. Number yeah. two is Geno Smith. No, it is at eighty seven point four. Yes. Seven big time throws, two turnover worthy. Geno Smith is Mr. Week seventeen. How many Week seventeens has he had? I don't know. He's got sixty four dropbacks. It's like two. <laughs> Geno Smith, Lamar Jackson, Colin Kaepernick, Deshaun Watson, hitting all the buzzwords here. Throw them all in the uh, title, SEO. Mm. We talked about Colin Kaepernick, Deshaun Watson, everybody click. That's what happened. Uh, Russ is a 76.8 on uh, a much bigger sample size. Yeah. So it's truer. Anyway. Huh. Play Geno in week 17 okay. or 18. The analytics has now spoken officially. Um, I'm starting to get more disappointed in the Jaguars here. Yeah, I mean, it's dismal. Like, this was, this was ugly. This was... I mean, this is just sad. Trevor, Trevor's doing the, the stuff I've been critical of these other quarterbacks, too. Uh, the stat where you, um, you know, sack percentage under pressure, Trevor Lawrence has been really good at that. Um, and in this one, he only got sacked one time, but he is, he's still just, he's, he took a bunch of hits in this game that he probably didn't need to take. Um, you know, maybe playing in Seattle. Their, their D played pr- pretty well against the Saints the other night and maybe playing in Seattle with the crowd is going to help that defense, which isn't very good overall. But um, this halted the progression that we were seeing in in Trevor Lawrence and his game, man. It just isn't there. Coming off a bye, coming off their first win, and all these things that could have been working in the Jaguars' favor. And they just came out flat and just – it's a dud, man. I don't even think Lawrence is – I mean, he's obviously relevant because he's the future. He's the number one overall pick. He's, like, the most interesting thing about the franchise. But, like, he was – 
fine. Like this was not this was not a Trevor Lawrence kind of thing. This was just the Jags. Suck. He had a couple late big time throws. Yeah, was. but he was still all right. The, the Jags are just so bad, like top to bottom. They can't get out of their own way. They don't have that many good players at all. They the scheme. The scheme is the most disappointing thing about the Jags this year to me. Like when when they came in and they were talking about all these hybrid players and the the things that they could do, and you start thinking back about what Urban Meyer offenses have looked like in the college landscape, and you're like, okay, we could create something pretty fun here. Even if we don't have like the superstar number one wide receiver that obviously everybody would love to have, like with the players that we have. And okay, you know, Travis Etienne hasn't played, um, but guys like... um, LaVisca Chenault and like they've got dynamic versatile playmakers and there has been zero attempt to do anything creative with those guys at which point you just have a bad offense and by the way you have a bad defense as well so you're just a bad team where like where's the optimism like right now you have a bad team that isn't schemed well and all you're doing, like your only possible glimmer of hope is that Trevor Lawrence is good enough to overcome all of that over the course of a season. And you come out of the year at least optimistic that Lawrence on his own can drag this sorry state of a roster to something better in the future. On the, the other hand, too, like who Jamal Agnew's made some really nice plays in recent weeks, but he had the most targets on the team in this one. He had 12 targets, man. Dan Arnold had 10. I like Dan Arnold in the in the sense that like the Jags had three good receivers to start the season and if they had Dan Arnold as their fourth option at tight end which was you know an, a huge upgrade over what they had that's a good spot for Dan Arnold not he needs 10 targets every week and then Carlos Hyde has eight so how much of it is the personnel or is it just the fact that they're trying to throw the ball to these guys too um Trevor Lawrence had two ridiculous throws again I have to highlight these because they were awesome I don't care that they're in the fourth quarter throws a dig route while getting hit puts it right on his dude's helmet dropped and then a cover two shot not just a cover two shot but far hash about 30 plus yards down the field puts it right on his receiver again that gets knocked out Quandre Diggs did a really nice job breaking that up but Trevor Lawrence finishes four and a half 4.4 yards per attempt or whatever 68 passer rating his two best throws probably should have had another 60 yards in there 50 yards that were his two best throws they both fell incomplete so Lawrence did some nice things this offense is rough, though, right now. Mm-hmm. It is rough. Uh, credit Seattle's defense a little bit, I guess. Uh, they Again, they've played well these last couple days. Monday Night Football in a loss, and then this week against the Jags. Geno played a good, clean game, and uh, we'll see. Still lurking around at 3-5. and five. If Russ can come back in a couple weeks and they can go on a run, we'll see. But it was a, an important win for Seattle to be able to, to hang in there right now. Yeah, I mean, if you can get any wins under your belt with uh, Geno Smith, the quarterback. Uh, that's all you can do to try and keep your head above water so that Russell can try and rescue this thing when he gets back. All right, let's go to this uh, Tampa Bay-New Orleans game. Saints win 36-27. to We talked about it on the PFF NFL Daily this morning. Did you post that on YouTube already? No, it will be posting after this podcast. Okay, so if you're a YouTuber... Assuming I haven't screwed it up again. Yeah, Sam messes up the time sometimes, so it goes later than it should. It goes okay. p.m. instead of a.m. It's an awkward system. It defaults to p.m. I don't I'm want not looking for excuses. I'm just I want explaining to the people. And then one time when I tried to fix the a.m. p.m. thing, I accidentally changed the date, so it went yeah. the next day instead. So I screwed up the Chiefs-Giants thing. You screwed up the daily. It happens, you know? We're yeah, but the daily always goes out in audio because I don't do that. 
it is an audio, uh-huh. right? So you can already listen to our breakdown of the Saints, where they're going. Jameis Winston's out for the season with a torn ACL, unfortunately. Um, but just an incredible win by the New Orleans Saints to move to 5-2. and two. And, you know, as I mentioned on the daily, you've got all these quarterback-driven teams at the top of the NFC, the Bucks included, the Cardinals, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Rams, and all of those teams are the best teams in the NFC record-wise. And then you have the Saints at 5-2 and two, uh, doing it with uh, more of a game manager type of Jameis. And now with Trevor Simeon coming in, uh, rushing attack, good defense, made some key plays, including the interception at the end. Uh, Saints are hanging tough at five and two, and now Sean Payton is twelve and three since two thousand eighteen in games without Drew Brees yeah. as starter. Which is I honestly just think that needs to get him. That needs to start getting him some serious like recognition in terms of how good he is as a coach. Like you know, we the Bill Belichick's record without Tom Brady is becoming more and more apparent um, and publicized. Uh, the longer he goes without Tom Brady and doesn't play as well or does the team isn't as good. Like, you take away Drew Brees from Sean Payton, it doesn't make a difference. He keeps winning. In fact, if anything, his record is going up. Um, I'm kind of... I had this whole, like... I was so fascinated by watching Jameis play yesterday. And I was really intrigued by, like, every aspect of his game. And then, obviously, Jameis gets injured. And now it's, like, done for the year. Um, ACL. Like, the... (laughs) The only thing you can sort of talk about is Jameis dancing on crutches after the game in celebration, which is the most Jameis thing ever. But, like, I was fascinated by how much more athletic he looks now that he's lost a ton of weight since earlier in his career. Like, how much of him... He ran, like, a five-flat 40 coming out. And you had this kind of quarterback who was playing in this chaotic manner. But unlike most quarterbacks that play that way, he had zero athleticism to tie to it. So he would just kind of run around like a lunatic vaguely around the pocket and get buried um but now like he lost a ton of weight he looks visibly more athletic i would have bet before he you know lost his acl that if he ran a 40 now he would be like at least two tenths of a second faster he's just much more athletic and now when he starts to run around he's actually got the ability to make a few plays on the ground as well and kind of get out of some situations now it always looks chaotic and crazy you know um you know Phoebe from Friends, like she would oh, run yeah. like, Woo! like that feels like how Jameis runs around. Someone gif that, please. Oh, it's definitely or gif if that's how you want to. No it. millennials, it's gif. No. Yes, yeah. uh, that feels like how Jameis scrambles. Like even when he's doing what would be the right thing, it always just looks nuts. Like yeah. chaotic, like out of control, like just launching himself around the place. Um, but. It, it's fun to watch, and I think he was actually playing reasonably well. I think the Saints would have been a real contender with him there all the way through this season, even if it wouldn't have always been pretty. Um, all of a sudden now, though, they've got this dilemma of what they do at quarterback with no Jameis. Yeah, I mean, I think he looks vaguely more athletic, or did. It, I just think he's got, he has got a decent feel for when to scramble, and he had four carries for 40 yards. He, he made some really big plays. Yeah, early in the in the game before before getting hurt. Um, I will again. I don't want to pile on, but I just I think quarterbacks have to do a better job with their internal clock. And after you make a guy or two miss, just kind of understand, save yourself. Either get down, throw the ball away. You just have to do it more because these injuries are just. I mean, they're catastrophic. It's your career. It's your season, man. 
at quarterback. I, I was I was so excited to see more of Jameis with Sean Payton. And we had mentioned in the preview show the Saints see like what do you make of the Saints season right now? Like no no signature wins after week one. Signature win dominated the Green Bay Packers. Won the games that they should have won. Lost a couple games that they should have lost. I uh, should have won, or lost at least a game that they should have won. Um, but then here's your other signature win. You take the Bucks, and now they've won three straight regular season games against the Tom Brady Bucks. Uh, of course, they lost in the playoffs last year. But the Saints showing that they can have you know an opportunistic defense, uh, use the run game, you know, scheme around a you know a Trevor Simeon as much as possible. I think they they did luck out a little bit. I think with the roughing the passer that uh, negated an end zone interception. That's going to be a big part of Simeon's grade getting crushed. Also missed a bunch of throws he should have hit. But they're doing their best, man. And they, they've got a really good roster. And I'm, I'm definitely disappointed we're not going to be able to see more Jameis Winston the rest of the season. So it's probably going to be Taysom Hill when he comes back. It's going to be his team, I imagine. And uh, they'll still be dangerous. But I think having both Jameis and Taysom makes them even more dangerous. Yeah. Um, did, did Father Time finally catch up with Tom Brady? <laughs> this is the beginning oh, yeah. again. Write the article. Yeah, yeah. I just, well, just recycle the one from 2014. So Brady had three three turnovers in this game. Bad fumble in the pocket. Uh, the second the the first interception's not on him. There was uh, a miscommunication and a holding that was missed. Chris Godwin runs an out route. He throws it. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Jog, the when you watch that on the broadcast, it looks like Brady throws it right to Chauncey Gardner Johnson. He just came off of his man coverage assignment, which was a go route. That was just the spacing was horrible on the play. So really nice job by Chauncey Gardner Johnson. It's one of those where you give him credit for that, and the Saints got away with a hold on Chris Godwin, which affected the play. Last interception was bad, and I was saying, look, before the um, before the break, they spent like 15 seconds watching showing Brady in Leftwich talking about what they were going to do, and you kept seeing Brady like going, like, we're going to do the crossing routes. It looked like he was talking about we're going to run it over and we're going to we're going to run these deep crossers. So I kind of expected it because I saw him talking about it for 15, 20 seconds on on the air. Could the Saints have seen that and communicate? There's no way to communicate to the sideline, right? Like, hey, watch out for the deep crossers. I just saw Brady on air talking about crossers, you know, right before the drive. Whether they did or they didn't, I don't think it makes a difference. I mean, it's just a bad pass. P.J. Williams was sitting on it. Yeah. But that's another one I think he wanted Godwin to cross his face. It probably would have killed Godwin. Right. I don't think it makes a difference. Like, and the thing is, he tried to throw one the play before. Like that, the shot to Mike Evans down the sideline was a bad pass that by rights should have been picked off. The safety yeah. hadn't played it horrendously. It, it had no chance of being picked off. It should, the safety was lined up on that side. No, he wasn't. He was playing center field and was actually open to the, uh, to the other side of the field. He had no chance of getting he there. He went away the other side. He opened like he was started off. He by opened the other side, and then he he never had a chance. He was running full speed. He had never had a chance to get to it. I mean, that was a bad pass that Mike Evans wanted no part of because it was that bad. Evans definitely wanted no and part of it. But. Then the second play, at the very best, Chris Godwin fights his way across the face of the safety and gets blasted the second the ball arrives. That those were two rough passes from Brady sequentially on a critical like, you know, Brady gets the ball back with time to work. Everybody knows what's happening here. Brady finishes the comeback, wins the game. Everything, you know, fade to black. Instead, Brady has like a couple of terrible passes. It was bad. The uh, it was trending that way too, right? Like the the Saints get up big early on, then the Saints had two three and outs with Trevor Simeon, and the Bucks keep scoring, and they're coming back, and um, 
Then you have the you know the Saints blitz busted coverage. Brady throws it up. Cyril Grayson with the forty yard touchdown, and that was the that was the go ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter. But again, this is where much like the Bengals game, you it felt like the favorite here. Okay, things finally things finally come back in order, right? The favorite, the Bucks against the Trevor Simeon led Saints, their their third string quarterback here. The Bucks are finally going to pull away, but no, the Saints did a great job coming back. They're down one, come back to kick the field goal to take the lead, and in this in the Saints still didn't really play that great. I mean, they had a chance with at the two minute warning to go run, run, run. Uh, the Bucks would have had no timeouts left or one timeout left, far less time, and uh, it ended up working out. But I thought the Saints did a poor job maybe of uh, managing the clock there through a couple incompletions and gave the Bucks way more time than they should have had. Uh, but, you know, I- incredible game by the Saints. The dome was buzzing, and uh, it looked like they were going to get quiet after the Jameis injury, but they, the Saints kept – they just hung on, man. They do a really good job against this Bucks offense. And, uh, and, you know, other than a couple of those big plays, the busted coverage, they did a really nice job. Um, slowing down Brady and the Bucks once again creating those turnovers yeah they have like and you know Mike they Brady also missed a pass to Mike Evans where he got open there was contact with um Marshawn Lattimore he Lattimore ends up essentially stumbling over and losing position because of that Evans is open and Brady overshoots it now yeah the contact probably slowed him down a touch on the other hand because he's wide the hell open, you had margin for error that play that you didn't take. This wasn't a particularly good game from Brady, and they tend to happen against the Saints, at least in the regular season. Um, there's also, like, yeah, that play where uh, the, the fumble in the pocket where he just kind of, like, stumbled over backwards and just looked like an old man. Like, yeah. it tends to happen every now and again. You get these plays where suddenly you're reminded that Brady's 44. It's like, yeah, that, that, that was that one. Um, he hasn't obviously, played great in recent weeks. It's, so it's kind of like the, the Stafford thing. When you have – and look, the Bucs, uh, Gronk tried to play. He only lasted five plays. You could tell like he was – he got wrecked on a It sounded like a different – yeah, it was – he I went out were, with a different listing injury. Like he was – it was calling ribs it coming spasms, in and then back in the game. Clearly he's banged up. And I was actually surprised he played because they're, they're on the bye next week. I figured they'd give him two, you know, two weeks. So no Antonio Brown, no Rob Gronkowski. You still have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Um, but the last few weeks, uh, so again, kind of like the Stafford thing, when the, the Bucks have a lot of open receivers for the most part, they've got a, a pretty good system. And so Brady, production-wise, has been good the last couple weeks. Throw for throw has not been nearly as good as he was early in the season. So you see his grade slowly uh, creeping down a little bit here. He's got to play better football because, yeah, you've got um, – even without Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, he's, they've had opportunities these last couple weeks. So, yeah, not, not Brady's finest game, even though he ends up with 375 yards and four touchdowns. Um, left a lot of plays on the table. And, again, those turnover-worthy plays that he had, at least two of them that were bad and uh, avoidable and in, in, in important times that, you know, he had not been making early right. in the season. Plus, you know, a monster busted coverage for one touchdown like that's adding a ton of stats the play that i think was really bad and you don't and you're out of your mind by the way that guy is lined up outside of the hash marks and could easily have made a play on that which one the the could have been interception to mike evans Did you just, just before the it? actual interception yes um and the play where he missed mike evans down the sideline oh those are a bunch of really high leverage plays yeah. that bounced either way for brady and kind of determined what his stat line looks like 
the uh, the chat's already asking, did Brady just hit the wall? Well, of course, yeah. Has anybody learned about no. it? No. I mean, again, the Saints... By the way, like, this is way different to, like, the wall that we talk about, right? That, the Peyton Manning, the Drew Brees, like, all of a sudden you look at a guy and he just looks like he's 50 years old and can't throw the ball anymore. Like, Brady yeah. is still firing missiles deep downfield. Yeah. He hit Mike Evans, and, like, the touchdown that he actually hit Mike Evans on was ridiculous. Yeah. You know, put it right on him 40 like, yards He's still the throwing the ball as well as he ever... Now, look, the... So one thing that the the interception that cost him right at the end, right, the one where he hit the ball right at PJ Walker or PJ Williams. Williams, and you're looking at that and you're like, why? Best case scenario, Godwin fights across his face and he gets Godwin killed, right? Yeah. So there's no like it's not good in any way, shape, or form. It might not have been like interception bad, but the best case scenario is you get your receiver killed. So the only way that makes any sense, and I think Troy was kind of talking about this on the broadcast, that like sometimes you know where a guy is, but like you your depth is a little bit off right you think he's a bit further back than he actually is and the fact that he's closer than you thought means that now he's in position to make a play on the ball rather than because there's a scenario where if that guy is a few yards further back he's breaking on the ball godwin cuts across his face and what ends up happening is like godwin catches it it's a catch and a tackle well not even that it's a catch and like godwin flies right by him as he's trying to make a break on the ball and it could be a huge play Right. Like those are essentially just the difference in vertical yards that the safety is away. Now, look, I'm just saying that I recently went and had an eye test. Oh, geez. And they told me that I'm reaching the age where depth perception starts to go and you need bifocals. And I'm a lot younger than Tom Brady. So maybe Brady just didn't have his bifocals at the time. And his depth perception was a little bit screwy. You don't think Brady eats his carrots? I don't think vision. that matters. You just reach a certain age and you need your depth perception goes. Vision, you, that's the thing to go when you reach your 40s and you need, uh, you need bifocals. So maybe, I don't know, can Oakley hook him up with like a bifocals visor? So when he's like, I'm sure. when he's trying to identify the safety, right? You just need to tilt the head up or down to get the right focal length. I'm rewatching the play again here. <laughs> You're not even interested in my bifocal uh, Oakley no, visor idea. Because if Godwin flattens the route a little bit more, it's, it doesn't look nearly as bad. It, he gets him killed if especially he the way right. they run the crossers because you, when you're running the deep overs you're trying like, Godwin runs that thing so much deeper so it's him and Mike Evans on a crosser he runs it so much deeper than Evans they don't even get the natural rub that you're trying to get there the safety is always Godwin, <laughs> but Godwin runs it like five yards deeper than Evans you're usually trying to run it a little bit tighter and get that natural rub that's what Brady was describing on the on the sideline there uh -huh, yeah. anyway uh, great play by PJ Williams and uh, the Saints to, again, save their season. You know, they're in the mix now. By the way, you know, um, we've been talking about how uh, if you throw an interception or whatever, it's the regular season, don't, don't do anything, right? Because you go try and make a tackle, you get yourself, you get your shoulder torn like Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Brady did not move. Didn't, didn't literally did not take a step after throwing that pick. Didn't matter. Stood the there. The game was over. Stood there and just watched it. Like the game was absolutely and I, early in the game, the same thing. He had a uh, whatever the previous play was. He literally didn't didn't move. No, like just he. vaguely walked in the direction of the play and was like, ah, somebody else will take care of it. Yeah, I don't think he should move. I'm just saying those are the those are the things you learn in 20 years of playing. Yes, you do. This is how you stay healthy. Um, so the uh, Brady hit the wall. People, you know, he's still grading well overall this season. Stats are there, the whole thing, whatever. Um, 
But just last year was a season where they had brutal losses, man. They had rough. They got destroyed by the Saints on Sunday Night Football. They lost the game where he forgot what down it was with the Bears. They had the game where they lost to the Rams on, you know, I think it was Monday Night Football, where it felt like, you know, this is prime time. Everybody's watching Brady. Everybody's waiting for the for the wall. So, I look, maybe the Bucs aren't the best team in the NFC, as I said before. But, man, are they going to be there in the end? I think absolutely they will be. So, I'm not overreacting to that at all. I'm just I'm reacting to the Saints and how impressed I am with Sean Payton, what they've done, no matter what they have. Um, and I'm disappointed that James Winston's out for the season. Really yeah. disappointed. And um, that one's tough. Shame for him. Shame for the Saints. Doesn't leave them with a ton of options. Like the Carolina Panthers made some moves because they thought they were a playoff team this year. I mean, the Saints should be a playoff team this year. And right now their options at quarterback are <clears throat> Taysom Hill, not you exactly made- great. Trevor tease, Simeon. I'll tease the daily. Very you, not great. You threw a name out there. That would be great. Right. A potential trade name before the deadline, which is tomorrow, uh, or Ian Book. And, you know. Chapter one of the book era. The book era. It would have been better if you just said the book. Of the book. Yeah. All right, let's go. Uh, New England Patriots 27, Chargers 24. What an interesting game this was. Oh, it's great. Now we can do more narrative stuff. More narrative stuff. Belichick's back. The blueprint for beating Justin Herbert lies in Bill Belichick's uh, filing cabinet. Yeah. Another weird one. Like, Herbert throws two picks. Uh, First one's not really on him. Look, we have to bring context to these interceptions, right? You have to bring context to all of these things. First one, kind of off his receiver's hands, a little bit high. Second one, we were talking about Jared Cook. He's supposed to just be running to the flat. He's not even looking. Herbert's just throwing the flat route. This it was a classic. You just block and release to the flat. Cook wasn't looking. He also ran it at a weird angle. Yeah, I don't know what Cook was doing on that play. You get a diving interception and in uh, a pick six by Adrian Phillips, and that was the that was the game, man. It was the the Chargers were winning seventeen to sixteen, winning seventeen to sixteen late third quarter. I'm sorry, in the fourth quarter, and then you get the pick six by Adrian Phillips. That uh, obviously completely changes the game. Pats uh, tacked on another field goal to go up 27-17. Uh, there was a late touchdown where Josh Palmer just you know mossed two Patriots defenders for a 24-yard touchdown, but it was too little too late for the Chargers. They just couldn't do anything offensively in the second half. Yeah, which is not, I mean, it's not the first time that's happened to them this season. For all the, uh, you know, Justin Herbert is great. The offense is much, or the offensive line is is dramatically improved um they they haven't been good this season against a couple of good defenses that have caused them some real problems and you know justin herbert has generally been incredible on third down in his career and he made a couple of really nice plays on third down here but he also had one interception like they the patriots did a good job of shutting down that offense and getting them off the field when they put them in ugly down and distance situations you're uh they unleashed Mac Jones a little bit in this one. They were chucking it down the field a ton. Unleashed. This was um, the overall grades good because there were. This was the opposite of what Mac had been doing previously, where all of his negatives were turnover worthy. He missed far more throws in this game than he had any other game. Yeah, just a completion rate of fifty nine. Yeah, so he missed a ton of stuff, but still had two big time throws in there and did not put the ball in harm's way. So it was kind of a weird. Uh, the stats ended up horrible for Mac, but. It was a weird one for him because he just he hit a bunch, still missed a bunch, didn't really put the ball in harm's way. Great ends up being okay. 
And uh, the Patriots tried to stick with that running game. The, the Chargers did okay up front. You know, I thought they might get beat up up front. Just a weird game overall, too, right? Like the Chargers broke off a 75-yarder from Justin Jackson. And, you know, even if you take that away, they ran the ball more efficiently than the Patriots did. Um, but the Pats uh, made the, you know, it, come down, it came down to the pick six and the big plays. You know, it was this back-and-forth battle where it was a defensive struggle for much of the game. And pick six changes the the course of the game there pick six yeah like and a, you know a couple of turnovers are critical in a, in a lower scoring game like this like justin herbert i don't think played particularly badly but when you start tacking on a couple of in, uh, a couple of turnovers to his stat line it's just going to make life a hell of a lot more difficult for them to get anything done yeah yeah that's it man uh keenan allen leading receiver he had a 41 yarder and a touchdown for the chargers so yeah, it was, a, again, an odd narrative game because I don't think Herbert played nearly as bad as the stat line. I don't think Mac Jones did. Defense made plays on both sides of the ball. The player had a beautiful tackle in the backfield. A couple of nice plays. Really yeah. nice plays. I was wondering, so it's, at one point, the Chargers were down like both starting cornerbacks. Oh, poor Asante. Um, and you're like, at least they have the flexibility that Chris Harris can just play any cornerback position for them. You know, so generally their slot guy and go, okay, you obviously are now starting cornerback until further notice. Um, I was curious how many guys would need to go down, though, before hashtag the player, number 33, uh, the man whom we must not jinx. Jerwin. Uh, Jerwin Dames. I was wondering how many players would need to go down before they went, okay, you're now playing corner for us in this game. And to be honest, as much as you don't want to wish injury on people, I'm willing to see that happen. No, I just, I just want the player to play corner anyway. <laughs> We said this in the I would preseason. love to see he that. He can cover Keenan Allen yes. at his size. I would genuinely love to see them do that. Um, you know, and, and there would be some collateral damage necessary for that to happen. So, uh, Patriots, uh, Nikhil Harry had a big catch or two. He had two catches for 30 yards. Yeah. Nikhil showing off those skills. One with uh, Asante Samuel, like, draped all over him. Yeah, so he caught it. <laughs> Nelson Aguilar, the leading receiver at 60 yards with a 44-yarder in there. So, you know, Patriots getting their, uh, getting those big free agent signings in there. So I think New this, is, this was such a huge game for New England to move to 4-4. Four and four. We mentioned before, too, this is their first win against a non-Jets or Texans team since before week 14 of last year. Um, they needed this. Chargers fall to 4-3. and three. They, were the, they were the hot team a couple weeks ago, Sam, at 4-1. and one. Now they've lost two in a row. And so New England, it, it, this, this AFC is completely wide open. Completely wide open. Patriots have the Panthers next week. If they move to 5-4, and four, right, we're talking about the rookie, Mac Jones, Mac Jones-led Patriots being in the playoff mix here once again. So Belichick doing a little uh, undertaker, sitting up here, right? You ready to write off Bill Belichick and the Patriots? They're back, baby. Are they're they? Back. I don't know. But they're 4-4 they're four and four now. And... Uh, the point I tried to make is over the last two years, they didn't win a whole bunch of games that they shouldn't have won, essentially as underdogs. And they won this game as underdogs against the Chargers, a team that was supposed to be ascending, hot new coach Brandon Staley, hot new quarterback Justin Herbert, and Bill Belichick says, I'm still hot too. I'm old, but I'm still, I'm still here. And, uh, and on the road. Big, and on the road, right. So it was just a huge win because the, the Patriots have been in this win one, lose one type of mix, which was very much dependent on who they've played the last two years so stealing one in a game that they shouldn't have won yeah i mean it's a fair point that this is the first game that the patriots have won unexpectedly for quite a while and that's 
pretty important for them showing that they're potentially more live than just this team that belongs in the middle that beats bad teams and loses to good teams. Yeah. All right, we've got two more games to discuss. Denver Broncos 17, Washington football team 10. Uh, it was a, you know, it was a low-scoring game. And it had 17 to 10. A lot of these low-scoring games here in, uh, in Week 8. Uh, another backup. This is the one backup quarterback that did not come through here, Taylor Heineke. Still, can, still a backup, right? Denver tried to, tried to help him out. Did right everything the they could. They really did. Both um, quarterbacks got sacked a bunch. Uh, again, football team. We said their defense would play better. Yeah, once it was better in this game, you know, against against Bridgewater and the Broncos. Yeah, and like I, Teddy hasn't the, the offensive line in Denver. Like I do a weekly Denver hit, and because of the way the last few weeks have gone, they are of the opinion that like their offensive line is in ribbons. It's a disaster. It's like getting everybody killed. It's a complete train wreck, and it isn't that bad. Like Teddy Bridgewater is making it look worse than it is. They, when they lose, it tends to be bad, so it looks worse than it is. Like, it's one of those, it's a little bit like Chicago, only less kind of overall disastrous. But it's, it's all these things sort of combining to make the whole situation look worse. And this was another game where it was, it was exactly like that. Like, Washington's um, defense, defensive front had uh, a ton of pressure um, without... William Jackson on the back end, they made some plays a little bit more. Like it was a weird game for Denver, but just more of what we've seen over the last few weeks for them. Yeah, they got a bunch of pressures from Malik Reed, Draymond Jones, Shelby Harris, five apiece with all those guys. So, including like a critical play on the last drive that like bailed out what the defense had, or what the offense had just done to them. Uh, Justin Simmons and uh, the so this was one of those two, like this matched up. This on the back end with Denver, what we had expected a lot during the season. Patrick Sertan, Justin Simmons, Ronald Darby, and Kareem Jackson all grading pretty well in the secondary. A couple big plays in there. Interception by Sertan. I'm sorry, dropped interception by Sertan. The two by Simmons, including what the Hail Mary. But though, but that was like what we expected. That's what we saw earlier in the season, where this Denver secondary in a Vic Fangio scheme, they're going to be solid. I do think the. Uh, there wasn't a, it wasn't a dominant pass rush, even though they got a bunch of pressures. That's a lot of Taylor Heineke holds on to the ball and everything. But if they could pair those two, if they could get a little bit better pass rush, the Broncos, it'll help. But um, in this one, it was their guys on the back end playing up to their ability, which they had not been doing the last couple of weeks. So, again, how much do you say? Oh, it's the football team. And, you know, who is, uh, who is Taylor Heineke throwing to beyond Terry McLaurin? It's not great. So how much of that is a factor? I don't know. But, you know, Denver needed this one to, uh, to hang around after that encouraging start to the season. Um, Landon Collins was in the news because they basically said, you're moving to linebacker. Um, it was unclear as to the timeline. It was like Landon Collins wasn't wild on the idea of playing linebacker, but, you know, was going to go along with it. But it was unclear whether this was like, hey, could you play linebacker this week? Or, you know, you're terrible, so we're going to move you to linebacker for now on. Like, you don't play safety anymore. Anyway, whatever it was, he had a pretty good game. <laughs> linebacker yeah. was making a ton of plays in that Washington defense, which, absent of William Jackson, you know, had some decent performances in it. Uh, Landon Collins was the guy that he played. He was uh, a lot like Mark Barron, former strong safety from Alabama, too. Barron became a linebacker later in his career. Collins has linebacker-like skills, but 
in college and at times in the NFL, it's like, well, if you line him up in the slot, play more zone. Not He's not like a cover a shifty slot receiver guy. Play some zone, keep him in and around the line of scrimmage, he'll be okay. Had that that one year where he was like a defensive player of the year candidate for a chunk of it against the Giants, but has just been so inconsistent throughout his career. But um, I like that Washington's trying different things too. Jamin Davis struggled at linebacker. That also could be yeah. part of it as well. Um, so the end of this game was insane. Um, yeah, get to the end. Washington essentially crap out, fourth and 19 from the 20-yard line. Things have gone south. Uh, Heineke picked off by Justin Simmons. Um, so Denver get the ball back, 37 seconds, game over, right? Now, okay, there's some timeouts to deal with, but whatever. Uh, so they then, um, Bridgewater on second down, second and nine, running out to the right, decides to... It was one of those ones where, you know, you and your receiver are vaguely in the same area and there's a defender between the two of you. So, you know, if you're running at some point, that defender is going to come up and take the quarterback. And when you do that, it sort of opens up this space just in behind him. So Bridgewater essentially did that, ran out to the right field. Defender makes a move towards him and he just thinks it passed him to the receiver. Problem is receiver wasn't like, they, you know, sometimes when you do that, it's a little bit ad lib. So you're not quite on the same page. Receiver turns the wrong way or whatever incomplete pass so now you just stop the clock like that's the worst possible thing you can do i get why you did it on the other hand just take the run and keep the clock moving because that's all you need um so incomplete pass now it's third and nine still only taking 10 seconds off now melvin gordon fumbles uh washington recover they get the ball back still deep in denver territory and now with 21 seconds to work with so, like, just catastrophic run for Denver. They turn the ball back. Washington has a shot to fix it again. Um, and then their defense absolutely showed up. Like, Patrick Sertan, I think, was the guy making the pass break up on the first down. He breaks it up. Second down, they get a sack, Malik Reed. Um, and then, you know, third and fourth, they just didn't get it done. But, like, that, they really tried to give that game back to Washington having sort of saved it the first time. Look, it's the 4 o'clock window. Everybody's watching Saints Bucks. And then if you're not watching Saints Bucks, you're watching Patriots Chargers and they're like, hey, look at us. Let's finish this game. They made it They made it exciting to finish up the uh, the 4 o'clock window there. But Gordon hadn't had a fumble in like 200 plus carries. That's crazy. You know, obviously you're, you're watching the game and it's just like, oh, this game's over. Yeah. Right. You just when you're watching a game and it's over, it's generally over unless, you know, you get the random fumble in there. It's over unless it's not over. Uh, Washington football team falls to two and six. Denver back up to four and four. Hanging tough now. So you got the Patriots at four and four. Denver's at four and four. Uh, Nobody's in control in the AFC. I mean, the Titans are in control of the AFC, but um, it is completely wide open. And even teams like Denver are going to feel like they've got signs of life here as they move back to 500. All right, let's wrap it up with the Dallas Cowboys 20, Minnesota Vikings 16. It was Sunday night football, another backup quarterback game. Cooper Rush, the game-winning touchdown pass to Amari Cooper. And that was a record. Cooper to Cooper. That was a record? Yes. What is the record? It was like the first time a first name Cooper threw to a last name, same name. Definitely the first time a guy named Cooper threw to a guy whose last name was was Cooper. Definitely the first time that's ever happened. yeah, but is that a record? It's, like, it's a record. That's just a thing that happens. It's a thing that happens. It's like yeah. scoregami. Okay. Uh, man, Dallas. <clears throat> impressed? Is it? You know, no. I know, I know how you feel about the Vikings. Stop it. You, I'm no, impressed. By I am going to say nice things about Dallas because I'm going to leave the Minnesota thing to you. 
I'm not, I'm not going to do it. It's too obvious. It's too on the nose. It's become a cliche. I will commentate on how Dallas did, and yeah, I will leave the Vikings. Uh, oh, I wanted to talk about Dallas. The analysis, the, self, uh, the self-evident you know, breakdown of what they did to you. Um, heading into this game, we actually, on our live show, I can't remember what we talked about in the podcast, but on our live show, we basically nailed the analysis, which was, um, hey, look, if Dallas or if Dak Prescott plays, obviously Dallas is is worth whatever the point spread currently is. But even if Cooper Rush plays, I would say there's a pretty good reason to bank Dallas because the situation around him is great. Like they have this fantastic offensive line, which got tested um, when Lyle Collins or not Lyle Collins, uh, Tyron Smith gets injured, gets knocked from the game, and they have to make some reshuffling. But great offensive line, great run game, receivers everywhere that are making plays, and none of whom you can match up with given where the Vikings are right now. Um, Like this is set up for a guy like Cooper Rush to have a pretty good game if he just doesn't make a bunch of catastrophic mistakes. You know, if he doesn't have a Ben DiNucci game out there and just keep firing the ball at defenders. Now, he had one bad play early in the game. One bad one, yeah. Right, one bad pick early in the game. But after that, didn't really put the ball in harm's way much. It and that offense, that offense did a really good job. And the defense did a really good job as well. Like, they had been relying on turnovers for most of the season and didn't in this game. Like, they just went out there and they were winning up front, were able to get a ton of pressure um, and knock the Vikings into this situation where they just didn't want to – they basically didn't want to play offense. You also had that freak play where uh, – was it was it Breland, the ball bounce off his yes. stomach? Bounces off of Bashad Breeland's stomach into uh, Amari Cooper's hands. I believe it was a 33 yarder. That was a huge play. But other than that, look, it was Cooper and Lamb, CD Lamb, both go for over 100 yards apiece. Cedric Wilson, 84 yards, including a 73 yarder in there and a cannon of a throw. A great throw for 35. Good talk yeah. about Cedric Wilson's arm. He was the best graded quarterback on, uh, if you take out garbage time, Cedric Wilson has the best grade of any quarterback in the week. Yeah, special, Tight. special yeah. quarterback. Dude, that was insane. That, like, such a good pass. Like, they set up this trick play, and Wilson's immediately sort of in trouble from the, the pressure. Yeah. Rolls to his right, and you're like, oh, this play's just dead. He's just going to throw it away somewhere. Instead, fires a bullet, like, deep downfield to an open receiver. Uh, like, And this was not a guy that was a college quarterback. You know, usually when teams do that, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy – played quarterback in college and of course he's got that kind of arm like Wilson was a high school quarterback but hasn't been a quarterback since high school and then just to isolate the fine line and so I'm you know gonna read the box score to you and tell you Zeke Elliott didn't do anything special but the fine line between wins and losses in the NFL Zeke 16 carries for 50 yards that's 3.1 per attempt four catches for 23 yards but Mm -hmm. in a play on a check down on third down where Zeke should get tackled short of the sticks. Yep. And it depends on your perspective. You blame Anthony Barr, you blame the, the Vikings, or you just give credit to Zeke. However you want to look at it. On a play, the, the Cowboys are down three. They're in field goal range. They're going to kick a field goal, kick it back to the Vikings, and Kirk Cousins is going to have another one of those magical, you just got to go get, get a game-winning field goal. Go do it. You've been doing it all season. Instead, Zeke runs through two Vikings. Just like, man, he just... That, that's the play where you're throwing the Madden controller. And it's like this the game broke because this dude's tackled 99% of the time. And Zeke squeezes through. All of a sudden, it was, I think, I think I gasped audibly. I feel like I saw somebody else say the same thing because you just expect the tackle. And he sneaks through for a first down. And all of a sudden, Dallas, it's like, whoa, you're not going to be kicking a field goal to tie it. 
Now you're going to either run the clock down to go right to overtime, kick a field goal, go to overtime, or you've got four shots at a touchdown. You tell me that the Vikings rage quit after that that play. Yes, that's what happened here. Yes, they immediately reset. They got the loss for uh, for quitting online. Fired the controller. Hmm. That was uh, it was incredible. That pass or that that run by Zeke was also um, was also after the Vikings had that extra like five yards pinged against them. Oh, for... so this is so the the Cowboys tried to call. I'm sorry, the Vikings tried to call timeout two plays in a row, right? Yes. So the Vikings call timeout. They go back out to start a play, and they call timeout again. And now normally, the referee just ignores that. A team is not allowed to call a timeout back-to-back like before a play. Another so they play had, like, it was second and 13. The, they ran Zeke, who got buried by Mackenzie Alexander. It's now like third and 16 or something. So they've, like, they've done a good job. Third yeah. and 16, really good situation. Now you call a timeout. Um, then they try to call a second timeout. Absurd. Which you're not football allowed to do, right? It's against the rules. Right. But so it's against the rules. But here's how that rule is implemented, right? So Football Zebras on Twitter uh, explains it. The penalty for defensive delay of game for consecutive timeouts is only there in cases where the official accidentally grants the timeout. And then it says, which, period, should, period, never, all caps, period, happen, period. Had the timeout not been granted, there's no foul except to ice the kicker. The request is just ignored. So you can ice the kicker with as many timeouts as you want. You cannot have back-to-back timeouts yeah, so the point, in the middle of a play. The point so, being, the Vikings tried to call a second timeout, which you're not allowed to do. And the way that officials deal with that normally is to just ignore the second request because you're not allowed to right. do it. However, so if they, they done that, screw it up and they do grant you the timeout, you lose five yards. Yes. So, so had, the referees had they screwed done it that, up and they gave... they forced a five-yard loss had they done that it would have been third and 16 and even with that incredible like tackle breaking run after the catch zeke only gained 15 yards on that play so if all other things had remained the same but the officials hadn't screwed up which is not the first time in the game that had happened the vikings would have held them a yard short so the vikings got screwed there the cowboys got screwed on a randy gregory yeah, what they called a late hit. I forget who he hit. There was uh, some horrendous officiating. Somebody was so it was Dalvin, uh, right? Was it, it was, Dalvin? I think so. Was held up along the sideline, and it's one of those where, man, I have a lot of empathy for like the defensive football player who hits someone along the sideline, and it's that close to a late hit, just because it's like, are they in bounds? Well, usually it's out? yeah. Usually it's a was he out of bounds thing. Right. And this, this one, even, he was a, he was about a yard, yes, half a yard away from the sideline. Like right. he was clearly in bounds. Randy Gregory comes in, pops him. And I got to say, this game was physical. The Cowboys' defense was flying around, hitting hard. To, especially all the, the underneath stuff that Cousins was throwing. Mm. And the Cowboys were flying around making plays. So Gregory goes in and pops Dalvin. And it's like, well, it's definitely not out of bounds. It's not late. Right. And the referee says, it's late because we ruled forward progress was stopped. It's like, well, yeah, you need a whistle to, to acknowledge that. And there was no whistle that actually stopped forward progress. What a ridiculous penalty that was. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember who it was that had hit Dalvin, but essentially Dalvin running towards the sideline was met by a defender. It, it had like neutralized his forward progress, right? So the only progress at this point was lateral towards the sideline. And then Gregory comes in and pops that and blasts him out of, the, out of bounds. And you're like, okay, so out of bounds is one thing. We have breaking news. But 
if you're well wait one second please if you're I don't think you understand how breaking news happens if you're if you're suggesting that a guy has been hit or a, a guy has, his forward progress has stopped like this is you can't expect the guy to just assume that you have to clearly end the play right then and there otherwise he's going to hit him and he should because like there were plays yesterday the chargers first touchdown right they scored on like a driving mall where the forward progress was definitely stopped. And then they just piled in and moved the pile three yards into the end zone. Like, you're telling me if you're going to enforce it the way they did enforce that hit with Gregory, you're saying that, like, every defender at that point should just, like, stop because the play is over as forward progress is stopped. Or you have to determine that by listening for a whistle in a cacophony of noise in a dome stadium. It's just, like, that's a bad call. What's your breaking news? Derrick Henry. Potential season-ending foot injury. What? He came back into the game and kept on trucking. Yeah, just like J.J. Watt last week. Came back and he had like 17 things wrong with his shoulder. Per Adam Schefter, Titans running back Derrick Henry has suffered a potentially season-ending foot injury during Sunday's 34-31 win over Indianapolis. Sources reported ESPN. Okay. Henry is undergoing an MRI today to determine the full extent of the damage. So, as you mentioned, he got hurt, came out of the game, went back in... But uh, could be a big one. Yeah. I mean, that's their offense. All of it. Tannehill's offense now. <sighs> this will test some theories. Yeah. A little bit. This will test the Derrick Henry theory. Uh, what what is, uh, Has Tannehill actually really turned the corner and become this high-end quarterback? Was he a product of uh, Derrick? Will the other dudes step up? Julio and AJ Brown. If Julio can get back on the field, this is a big one for the seven and two Titans as they head. Well, they're going to the Rams next week, but just for the rest of the season. Good for the Titans though that they're this far ahead in the AFC South. How hard could it be? That's a rough one though for the Titans with uh, Derrick Henry going down. An absolute like critical blow. That's that sucks for them. Yes. And it's kind of I'm. I mean, okay, I to an extent I understand how you can play through a shoulder injury you jinxed him during the game but like a foot injury as a running back I mean you kind of need your foot to do everything you jinxed him you kept saying how indestructible he is he had been indestructible yeah well not anymore it's just like the player no the player had been like an injury he'd been very destructible yes very very destructible um massive disappointment for the Vikings who um you always make the point will play a one-score game regardless of who they're playing. If this was if this was Dak, it would have been a 33 to 30 loss. With Cooper Rush, it's a loss 20 to 16. Yeah. Somebody at some point during the game was like, "Oh, given how the Vikings are playing, like what would the score be if Dak was in there?" I'm like the same. Like it just wouldn't have made a difference. I mean, obviously Dak and the Cowboys offense would look better, but like the Vikings would play it the same. They would somehow contrive to make this a one-score game whether Dak was in it or not. I always feel like they could be a little bit more aggressive. There was so many passes like Micah Parsons <laughs> felt like he's that's Just, as far as you're willing to go. Yeah. I feel like they could be a little bit more aggressive. They should be a lot more I aggressive. I have held back on the basis that you would take the reins and do this correctly. And as far as you're willing to go is, I feel like it could have been a little bit more aggressive here. Yeah, yeah. I just why don't you just go you should go. no I no I'm I'm not doing it I I insist that you correctly break this down no I think in I think your retroactive uh Vikings analysis is fair and strong mm-hmm. I think when you're looking forward there is a sometimes a dark cloud that you bring to the to the podcast set here uh-huh and uh so it's 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 your Vikings previews and 
sometimes. Would that dark cloud have been was a, very, very warranted? This have week. been an accurate premonition certainly, of what happened? Certainly warranted this okay. week. I want your analysis here because yeah, Micah Parsons is making tackles for loss in the backfield on passes left and right, throwing the ball underneath. And then when they get into a two point situation, you know, Cousins just rips a deep out to Adam Thielen, and it's a first down. And like those, that needs to be a part of the offense a lot more often. Cousins is playing pretty good football this year. He's not missing a ton of throws. Now, there are definitely a bunch of plays. He's part of partly the culprit here, uh, throwing the underneath stuff probably a little bit too often in uh, some of these situations. But be more aggressive, Vikings. Yeah. Like, we're so during the game, everyone's like, oh, Micah Parsons is incredible. Like, look at all these plays he's making. It's like, yeah, maybe it's because he knows the Vikings, every time they drop back to pass, are throwing the ball somewhere in the flat to a running back. Like, at one point, they had five pass attempts to running backs. And collectively, those five pass attempts had gained minus eight yards. Negative eight. And not one of them had gained yardage, right? Because Dallas is just sitting on them. It's like the Vikings. Marched down the field right at the start of the game, scored. Then they had a couple of pass plays that were um, contested or resulted in receivers getting hit. And it was like, oh, let's just not do that anymore. Like, we, we almost got Justin Jefferson injured. Like, that's way too risky to be doing for the rest of the game. So instead, we'll just dump the ball off to C.J. Ham because it doesn't matter if he gets blasted because the dude's 240 pounds and a fullback. Like, that's not a problem. We can, we can expose C.J. Ham to a, like, freight train in the flat. But if we get Justin Jefferson injured, then, then we won't be able to pass downfield. It's like, well, what? In order to, pr- like, in order to protect the idea that we, if we get our receiver injured, we won't be able to pass downfield, so we'll stop passing downfield because that's the only thing that can get him injured. So they just, like, they completely packed in the offense. They had an average depth of target of five in the game, which is like Alex Smith would consider that conservative. Alex Smith would be out there last night going, guys, like, you got to push the ball. You got to be a bit more aggressive. Look, if you want me to come out there and coach how to, how to dial up the deep ball, just, just call me. I'm, I'm, I'm not busy. I've got some free time. Like, it was the most conservative game plan you're ever going to find in a game where you're going up against Cooper Rush, right? The Dallas Cowboys don't have their starting quarterback. And you go out there being like, the way we win this game is by being the most conservative possible and trying not to throw it away. Like, no, the way you win this game is by going out there and using your functional quarterback because they don't have one. That was way better than anything I could do. So I needed you there. I mean, like... <sighs> Vikings continue to play up or down to their competition. Right, but it's because the of, it's self-inflicted. Rush. I want to give the Cowboys a ton of credit. Because they did, they did play some good defense. But yeah, the Vikings played into their hands with the underneath stuff. Aggressive man coverage by Dallas. Uh, got pressure on Cousins and some key times. And it just felt like every time you looked up, it's third and long. And there's a pass short of the sticks and it's getting tackled. And Dallas is on top of it. And the Vikings just not being aggressive enough. I just tweeted that you were going to have a good rant. I hope, I hope everybody came and listened and, and heard it. By the way, if you're in the YouTube chat, give us that thumbs up. It's great. Helps it go viral, especially these reviews. They go viral every single week. Helping it go viral is like the uh, the self, you know, the self. Uh, Just trying to spread the word. It's your it's our version of winner winner chicken dinner. Winner winner yeah. chicken dinner. That's what the copy says. I mean, I think Dallas's defense did a really good job, and they played better in this game than you would have expected them to play, even without like relying on turnovers but so much of that was because the vikings just telegraphed 
what they were doing. And at one point, like at some stage, Dallas were like, oh, this is like, this is simple. We know exactly what they're running and we can shut it down because you don't have to worry about anything else. Like the Vikings have their two of their three best players on offense are their two wide receivers who, by the way, had shown up early in the game and you'd scored a touchdown pretty quickly because of it. There's also like a just miss to Justin Jefferson up the field. It was, it was also like those plays right. too. But then like the, the response to that was to just stop trying any of it. it, was to go completely in the shell and just dial it back and not like risk anything. Like you put up one ball in the air that was, wasn't great location and, and Trevon Diggs drills Justin Jefferson and it was like, oh, let, let shut it down. And, and the Cowboys' pass rush was fantastic. Uh, but Randy a huge Gregory. amount of that was because you stopped scaring them with anything you were doing. Like, they were able to just tee off completely knowing that there was nothing coming. Good grades across the board. Randy Gregory, almost unblockable in this game. And then really good grades from other, just other contributors. Justin Hamilton, Terrell Basham, Osa Digizua, all with excellent pass rushing grades. So I, I think Dallas did a great job up front, you know, getting after cousins and you know yeah for winning four out of the five vikings pass blockers on the offensive line will have a pass blocking grade below uh 45 trayvon Diggs, multiple penalties in this one no interceptions so um so Diggs is as much as the vikings didn't um create big plays Diggs allowed a couple and had a couple penalties but that was pretty much it for the vikings offense rough one man vikings fall what are they now Three and four. Yeah. Such a blow. Like, your Minnesota. This was going to turn. This was going to be the thing, right? That gets you back, you know, that, to the slow like, start. This was a team, because of the way the NFC is right now, the sixth and seventh, certainly the seventh seeds, are, like, absolutely live for a not tremendously good team to make it. And, yeah. you know, obviously, once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. But if you're the Vikings, like, you have still designs on that sixth or seventh seed. And this was a game that suddenly like just lands in the fortune smiles on you and instead of having to deal with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys offense you're like oh we get Cooper Rush like we get a chance to steal a game from one of the best teams in the NFC and get to four and four and sorry four and three um and be in like a great situation and because you played the game cowardly you don't get it that's your season maybe yeah, like might be your might it's it's early and a lot of things can happen. But man, three and four is a tough one right now. But in a game that they should be winning. Dallas did a great job, but Minnesota, like this is self inflicted wounds. They they gave up this game because they weren't courageous enough to attack it the way you should attack a game when you have a good quarterback and the other team has Cooper Rush. Let's preview Monday Night Football really quickly. Give somebody uh, Chiefs Giants. What are we watching for here? Chiefs to win. I mean, you would assume. What's um, the line now? It was ten as of digits, a few days ago. Right? Like, I mean, with Kansas City, it's always can they stop turning the ball over? Um, I don't agree that the offense is like the same as it's always been. If they stop turning the ball over, but I do believe that if they stop doing that, that answers most of their problems. Um, for the Giants, we should get Kadarius Tony back in action, and like that dude is worth the price of admission by himself. Where can I get to where I need to do to go here? I I don't know what you're trying to do or why you can't do it. Trying to find the DraftKings line, yeah, and see where it is right now. Um, anyway, yeah, the Chiefs are in this. Um, they get the Packers next week, right? So they can't have another screw up here. You want to get to the Packers game at four and four, 
expect the Chiefs to win here. We'll see if uh, the, if the Giants had all their playmakers against this Chiefs defense. If they had all of them, yeah, you know, um, healthy and ready to go, I'd say okay, you know, maybe there's a there's a shot here. Um, but this, I don't. It could uh, easily be a shootout. I mean. Kansas City's offense, even with the turnovers, moves the ball and has a ton of scoring drives. The Giants, they've got something to work with on offense. Now, Daniel Jones, I think, continues to play reasonably well. Um, Kadarius Toney is a playmaker. They've got some weapons. The Chiefs don't have the kind of defensive front that should overwhelm their offensive line, even though it's been rough. Uh, this could be the season. week the Chiefs can get some pressure. Maybe, or maybe it's like it just shows how bad they they have become that they're not able to get pressure even against the Giants. So I, there's a there's definitely the capacity for this game to be like a fun shootout. Chiefs have the lowest. This is a great battle here. The lowest pass rushing grade in the NFL against the lowest pass blocking grade in the NFL of the Giants. Perfect. What's the opposite of a uh, rock and a hard place? You're thinking of the immovable object versus the irresistible force. That thing. This That's is a resistible force. That's what I meant. A resistible force against a movable object. object. Sorry, I screwed it up. It's like that. Uh, you ever see Boondock Saints? Yeah. Guy screws up all the cliches all the time. Uh -huh. The bartender. It's me. Just screw them all up. Can't do it. Well done. Anyway, uh, it's ten and a half right now on DraftKings. So we're giving the people your preview here. This is your, Chief, uh, your Chiefs Giants preview. It's in Kansas City. I think the Chiefs. I think they cover the ten and a half. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep rolling with the Chiefs until they. You know, they'll keep disappointing, but I'll keep rolling with the Chiefs. Here. I mean, look for the Chiefs. Just win the game. Like, forget covering. I don't care what the point spread is. Just get out of here with a win because yes, you are. Win. You are running out of of opportunities to make mistakes and still make the playoffs at the end of the season. I think they probably need to win seven of their next ten games starting today. So if you drop this one. You now need to win seven of your last nine games. To, like, it's just you are running out of opportunities to screw it up. Though, to be fair, with nobody running away with things in the AFC, and now the team that has imposed their will, the Titans, losing Derrick Henry, you get the 6-2 and two Titans. I think I said 7-2 and two earlier. But it's not like the NFC where there's, there's going to be a team that has like two or three losses at the end of the I year. I mean, not even that, but the, the division is more winnable than it was before. Like, True. The Chargers are now 4-3. and three. Whereas we thought the Chargers might run away with this. Um, again, another team that had a, a nice bye week is the Raiders. The Raiders. Right? They're now sitting solely atop the AFC West at 5-2. and two. Right. So, like, that division isn't necessarily running away from you the way it looked like it might. But you're still, you know, two games back from the Raiders. You Again, you just – your margin for error is getting smaller every one of these mistakes you make. And if you screw it up against the Giants, like, you're not a playoff team at that point. All right, so that'll do it. It's week eight in the books, plus Monday Night Football to look forward to. We appreciate everybody stopping by on YouTube. Again, hit that thumbs up for us. We appreciate it. We appreciate DraftKings for sponsoring the show. And, of course, don't forget, we want to give everybody 25% off every PFF subscription. You can use the promo code NFLPOD. We know so many of you have already used it. We hope you're enjoying it, and we, uh, we hope you all join us with either PFF Edge or Elite, 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. Thanks for it to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you guys again on Wednesday.